Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, and this is going to be episode 138 with cinematographer and founder creator of cinematographydatabase.com, Matt Workman. In this episode, Matt and I discuss how he got into cinematography and the various steps that he took in his career to help support himself and his family. We discuss so many different topics in this episode, such as the work-life balance, the liberation of technology for creatives, Matt's ability to connect with his audience via the internet and the inception of Cinematography Database, along with the risks and rewards of running your own business. This episode is brought to you by Learn Squared, which is a new art education platform founded and powered by industry-leading artists. If you're interested in learning cutting-edge art techniques and discovering firsthand how prolific artists learn from around the world, head over to LearnSquared.com and apply the promotional code COLLECTIVE during your purchase checkout and receive a full 10% discount off your orders because we love you and we want you to learn. Here we go, everybody. Episode 138 with Matt Workman. Let's roll. So I, I heard of this podcast, like, um, Back when you interviewed John Sweeney, the oh, concept, because okay, yeah. yeah. you know I've for a long time I've followed Feng Zhu. He's been like a huge influence on me, mm, okay. um, on YouTube and that sort of thing. And for a while, I've been trying to bring concept artists and cinematographers together in a way because I'm like, hmm. there's just so much knowledge in concept art, you know. And I've always respected that, and I feel like I'm like these guys know more than cinematographers. Like, I mean, in not. In, in that they could bring it out of nothing sure. in, in a lot of cases. But cinematographers, like, you're, you're, they're tasked with making it work with kind of like what's in front of them. They have to be able to find it with in reality. So those are different skills, like photography versus painting or something like that. Yeah. But I remember listening to that podcast. I think I think that was the first time. And, you know, I've been a, I've been a fan of, you know, John's work and Ben Morrow and just all those concept guys. I just feel like there's so much... Um, there's like such little credit given to them. And a lot of it's because they're just not allowed to share that work. I think yeah. until it's like 10 years after the project, comes out, <laughs> something like that. And it's like the what project, you know, like, yeah. So I think that was the, that's the first time I, I heard of this. Oh, awesome. Well, it's cool that you're uh, aware of it. Um, yeah. It's, just, it's, it's kind of interesting. The person, I can't remember who it was exactly that turned me on to your work, but it was only maybe like um, about a month ago, I became aware of, who you are and what you're doing and I've watched a bunch of your videos and I was telling Andrew like Andrew we need to get this guy on the podcast he's very similar minded and I love how transparent you are and how much you share and a bunch of my friends are familiar with you and what you do too and I figured you know what let's just all get on here and and talk about you know the industry um I the cool thing like I I really appreciate it again as it is is that you're sharing and it's also really cool to see that you you know you have you're bringing in, in and contributing a lot back to the industry as, itself by creating your own applications and things. And, and that, we'll, we'll get into a lot of that stuff as well, which is going to be really fun. Um, but yeah, no, it's really cool, man. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. And thanks for being here on a whim too. Cause it was, like I said, like we, we had like months out, basically we weren't free for like two months. Um, and then we had a cancellation. So it worked out perfectly. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, like, you know, like I try to, I, I may understand like scheduling and whatnot, but like for me, if like when something comes up, I try to try to get it done as soon as possible or else it doesn't happen. Are yeah. you talking, so I'm interested in like what stuff you've been seeing because, um, you know, my old YouTube channel, which wasn't my whole company, but it was, it was a big part of it for a while was like breaking down movies and yeah, it got taken down. Right. 
Yeah, there's a whole story behind it, you know, but like yeah, essentially like I had built like a, a pretty big following and like on YouTube, like per month it was growing like 7,000 subscribers a month or something like that. It was like really fast, like really fast growth. Yeah. Um, like all the film blogs were very happy to repost it. And it was kind of breaking the mold because people are like, oh, YouTube, you have to. And that's kind of how I do it now. But they're like, oh, it has to be like an eight minute video. You know, it has to be like people can't sit through it. And I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to make hour <laughs> and a half long YouTube videos. Yeah. And just say, fuck it and just do it. And they were just blowing up. Now, the, the big problem, of course, is that um, I'm not going to be able to go the fair use route like, um, you know, other YouTubers who are doing that. Um, mostly because I'm a for profit software company at this point uh, and soon to be other products and that sort of thing. So it, it kind of transitioned, my platform transitioned from being uh, editorial in the beginning. So I started off as a blog to kind of kind of do market research, like very deep market research. Uh, but then as soon as we started dropping products, it became very clear that we were not allowed to use other, I, you can't even use the word Star Wars in marketing if you're like an actual company, like without yeah. their permission, you know? So yep. that came face to face. And I'm actually really good friends with a lot of the PR people for those studios. And they were just like, some of them on the down low, and then we eventually got like a legit takedown from um, an agency. They're like, they're like, you just can't do this, really. Like, it doesn't like when you what you were before when it was like editorial. Like, if I was like a you know, like a, I don't even know if Justin Cohn's motionographer counts anymore because he's gone. It's pretty big um, now. Yeah, he's got it monetized. Yeah, so it's like, can he's you really Patreon right now? I think right. I think Justin, they're doing it. Yeah, Patreon. yeah. We've been talking. We've been talking about. I met Justin in, in New York City. I actually interviewed him on camera. <laughs> awesome. For, um, he's been on the podcast too. Yeah, I was looking at the backlog. I think that's that's super cool. So, I've, I mean, I've been talking with him. We both moved out of New York City kind of like the same time, hmm. um, almost to do similar things. Like he was like, yeah, I'm like revitalizing um, motionographer. And I'm like, cool, yeah, I'm kind of moving to Boston to run cinematography database full time. But yeah, so those those breakdowns are basically shelved until I can um, get better connections within the the PR studio, like PR agencies for the movies, which I think I can do. It's just going to take a little bit more work. Before I was just like, just doing it and that doesn't fly as soon as you're like a real company that makes <laughs> like that's fine if you're a youtuber and like yeah. you make like you know well you have to have like it, it you have to have a separate entity for it i think and that's separate from you and that's kind of difficult but at the same time yeah when you like you said anytime you're making profit and rightfully so if you're making profit and you're making it off of star wars or something um it's in form a very small form of theft um whether it's intentional or not and so you know, there's all these people that are hired and, you know, working to protect those things. There's a lot of uh, high paid people at Disney that are paid to, you know, <laughs> make sure that their brands stay, uh, quote unquote, pure, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I was real glad, real glad that uh, Disney did not come after me for the Star Wars breakdown I made because I actually went and found um, in their early marketing cycle for Star Wars, the new one, they released a behind the scenes reel mm. of like footage. And it was like so it was just like everything was all green screen, you know, but their marketing push was like, oh, so much of this is shot in camera. You know, it's yeah, like, oh, of it's, like, not. it's all it's all practical. Right. That's that's how they marketed that movie, like 100 percent to try to get like the, you know, the um, baby boomers to come out. Yeah. And then like someone released this like ridiculous reel that was like all green screen and matte paintings <laughs> and they downed it. They destroyed that. They took it off of every website, um, yes. all that stuff. But I actually went, I went and found it <laughs> and I was using footage from that. So if they had ever found that, they would have shit on me just like completely. So I'm glad it's all, it's actually, it's still on YouTube, but it's just some, a fan site put it yeah. up. So it's not that bad. That's the ones I watch actually. And I've, um, again, as I said, I found your work about a month ago and then I found you know, just how prolific you've been and all the stuff you've been doing. And, 
um, how like-minded we are with being transparent and sharing. And yeah, I think I've, I've watched, um, I love your breakdowns of David's films, like Fincher's films. I mean, those are some of my favorites because he's very transparent as well. Um, I think, I think I watched uh, dragon tattoo and, um, I think we, t- I think there was like, uh, I watched interstellar as well. Um, there's quite a few I watched actually that were pretty, pretty interesting. It was cool to watch you analyze as well, because I, you know, sometimes, um, I feel a little isolated or alone the way I look at things sometimes, you know, so I work from home and Mm -hmm. my wife doesn't care about how something's lit, you know, (laughs) or the framing. (laughs) And sometimes Mm -hmm. I feel like a jerk because I'm like, oh, that's really well put together (laughs) or something. No, we're in the middle of watching House of Cards or something, you know, and um, it's just cool um, when you find somebody else, even if it's on the Internet, um, geeking out about, you know, theory and supporting story and composition, color, tone, framing, all that stuff. It all, when it's done at a really high level, like say a curated experience, like David Fincher's films, it's all, it's all thought of basically. Um, nothing's really accidental when it comes to his stuff from what I understand and the people that I know that have worked with him. Um, he's very methodical and it's, so it's cool. It was really cool to see you kind of just going out there and saying, Hey, this is what I know. And this is what I'm breaking down. And I love that attitude, you know, just getting out there and doing it. So yeah, recently I was watching some of your, like your throwback videos. I thought that was great. You you go back and go through some of your old original projects. I thought that was awesome. And kind of talking about where you come from. And and then you have some of these like really cool, interesting, quite confidential, or um, I imagine we can probably talk about this uh, in a bit, but um, just kind of, you know, not working for free. And if you do how you do it and like how you kind of come up in the industry and your perspective on things and stuff. So, which is, I think something that I don't know why it is, it's really not widely shared. And I think it's, um, kind of a sad thing that it's not openly exposed to everybody, which it should be. So, um, what, what made you decide to kind of tackle that on your own? Well, so my, my company is like, I see it as it's evolving, like what, what my mission is, but, uh, I am, you know, kind of deeply dissatisfied with like the current, um, how to put this, like the current generals of like the film industry, like the people that are like quote unquote responsible for helping the next generation. Um, I feel like that my generation and the younger ones, especially are being taken advantage of by, uh, certain corporations and, and the industry in general, and the, there isn't like practical information on what surviving as a freelance creative slash cinematographer slash director, what how you actually do that. You know, like I'm gonna bring on my uh, my my accountant to be like, this is how you do taxes as a cinematographer. Yeah, like there's this stuff that's like, if you just knew this, like because I did it, I did it from scratch. I didn't know anybody in the industry. I did this. I've basically done everything wrong for 10 years. And luckily I've done it <laughs> wrong so quickly that I've actually gotten like pretty far ahead. You know, I'm like one of the, I'm, I'm kind of exited my IDP career at this point, but like where I, when I was exiting New York, uh, essentially I was very high for my age for anyone in my generation, like where I'd gotten, but like it, it was all through just like insane fuck ups, like just back to back. And I'm just like, you know, why isn't anyone talking? I was like, I could save people so much time. Like, and just talk about this in like a real way. Do you think it does? Or do you think people need to learn the hard way too? <laughs> I was talking, do you know, um, Chris Doe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've yeah. watched some of his videos too. Yeah. So he's on my podcast. I just interviewed him. It's not out yet, but I found his videos on the one, especially that Justin reposted on, um, yeah. Bricklayer. Let's talk about that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I'm curious um, to hear what you think. I imagine that's caused him a lot of uh, stuff. I'm curious about that. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what we basically. I talked to him about that a little bit, and like, and also just being out there, like you're saying, like being out there and dropping shit that's like an opinion. At least it's at least like whether it's right or wrong. It's like this is an opinion based on our experience, you know. And do I think we talked about it with education? It's like, do you think you can teach? Well, I think you can. I think what what part of my company is going to aim to do is just raise the bar of of knowledge and education and awareness. Like simply through cinematography, like I'm going to be able to expose mechanics of cinematography that you never would have seen unless you were on A-list movies or you were on um, very large commercials. And, and super nerdy with books and stuff, right? Nah, there's no books. There's nothing. Like, nothing there's that no- would be able to expose any of that stuff? Nah, not even close. I've read every cinematography book. I know every cinematography author. I've worked with all of them. They're going to be on my platform eventually. Like, there's nothing. Like, there's truly nothing. And a lot of it comes down to the reason I couldn't make my breakdown videos is because any big shoot, all the all the photos, everything is yeah. copyrighted and cannot be released to the world. It's locked you up. Get- you get a press kit. Like I'm about to do a review of the music bed documentary that just came out because Ryan Booth shot it and you get a press kit with like 50 images and that's it. And like, it's usually not anything juicy or like helpful. So what I'm able to do with cinematography database now, as I'm building this 3d gigantic database of everything in the film industry that actually works, it moves the cameras. I can live operate the cameras. Like they're real. I can light, like it's the real set. I can show it that way. So I think that by just raising the bar, like, because YouTube is like kind of the bottom of the barrel, unfortunately. <laughs> um, if I can raise that community up, I think it raises everybody up just so that you know, like what to expect. Like that video I did that was like, these are the rate structures for a commercial DP in New York. Just knowing those numbers Helps. makes you more armed yes. moving into this arena versus having no clue, you know, yeah. and that's and when people have no clue, that's when people get taken advantage of. And I'm actually speaking with. I saw you interviewed VFX Soldier. I'm interviewing and I'm talking very soon with um actually we already had a pre-interview. It was like four hours we talked, but like um <laughs> the uh the IATSE, if you're familiar, the the that represents the DPs, represents the movie uh-huh. industry. Uh I, I'm talking with the rep that's coming in to unionize the VFX industry from IATSE. Oh wow, that's gonna be a tough task. <laughs> They're already moving. Yeah. They're already yeah. cutting through. I mean I, what, what is it? he told me, I, I have all my notes on it, but like I think DreamWorks uh, and Disney, the animators are already covered mm. under 839 and they're coming in and looking at Nickelodeon and looking at all these big studios. So it's really interesting. But what I've found is that like, hmm. even at my level, like I've, I shoot union stuff, but I'm still not covered by it. Union is really for like older family people. And he really broke it down for me. And it's yeah, like, it is. If I have like, a couple of friends that are in a union too as well. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So if you're like 30 to like 60s, like you have families, you're working on like consistent movie style stuff, you're working on TV. It's like, yeah, you're covered for like that. And then like the other institution, like ICG or the ASC, those type of people that they're really taking care of like the very, very top, top people. Yeah. Um, but what I'm finding is that the workforce for content and video is, you know, like 16 to 25, yeah. right? That's tremendous amount of people and i'm sure it's the same in the vfx world and, and design world that's just like that are operating there with no representation and no one really helping them and then we see i mean i i was talking to chris about it i was like i was like you and i could either completely tear down every single school that there is like every university just i could methodically tear down any film school bit by bit i interview the students for the very reason to understand what's going on there i know the teachers now at all those major universities i know like the young ones the old ones i'm like i could tear them down 
or we could try to work on a way of making them better. But we're like, you know, we, we launch people into the world with $200,000 of debt plus. Yeah. And, and the camera manufacturers are selling you from day one because they're, they're partner with the schools. Like, you have to buy a camera. You have to buy a camera. So you're in debt. You're buying the $60,000 camera. And then they're like, cool, enter the marketplace. You've got nothing. You know, and I just feel like yeah. 10 years of that, it's like, it's just bad. I mean, I get that. It it's is like survival bad. It's bad this, practice. It's bad. Yeah. It is. Um, I came up without real education i it was just sure will um and just hard work really um and I, I think it's possible to do it in any capacity and i think a lot of students like it say learn squared a lot of things that you're doing too is is very parallel with what we're putting ourselves towards is, is educating people on the business side of things as well and giving that out and exposing that for everybody just basically for free just trying to figure out a platform to do it properly so that people can have the right information because you don't want to send them the wrong information and a lot of this stuff is so you know, like what I would give as far as advice or how much I charge is I'm a very I'm, a, I'm up in the top two percent basically at this point. You know, right. um, I'm getting to the point where like there's nowhere for me to go except for jump and leap into a different a whole different market, basically. And being aware of that and knowing how to get there. And if you want that, it, if, 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 if anything, you know, so the thing about unions, I want to talk a little bit about with you is, is interesting that you're getting into this because I'm, I think it's really interesting to have the unions, but I think that there, and you might disagree. And I think a lot of people that are listening to me that would probably disagree, but there's some people that would agree, um, is I've, I've worked with union workers and non-union workers, and I've, I've had good and bad experiences from both, but the ones that aren't in union, I found had an edge to the way that they worked because their hustle was so strong. Yeah. It affected their work and therefore they weren't complacent. When you sit down and you watch, I don't watch these films, but you go and watch like a Marvel film. I don't really partake in that stuff that much. I don't really go watch movies much at all. I'm so busy. I'm stuck at home and I'll end up watching stuff on my iPad in bed or something. You know. So, But when I do go watch movies, um, you'll see like Marvel films, they look consecutively, consistently the same a lot of the times what you have is union workers that are staying on working on the five films throughout the whole process and i think that dilutes uh originality and it makes things kind of all it's losing the the originality of things and i think that's it, there's a, there's a couple of things that are happening there that are causing a problem with that at least from the end user you know perspective and i'm have a completely different taste and, and opinion on a lot of these things and stuff too and i'm not saying that all union workers are lazy or complacent i'm just saying that when you don't have that light on your ass, like burning you hard and you have to go and get work and you have to hustle and you have to learn new programs and you have to be the best that you can every day. I don't know. I don't know. I think it affects your work in a certain way personally, you know? So, and I, I mean, I've never been a union worker, you know, so uh, I can't really say to be completely honest, but I do have friends and they like the security and the comfort of it, but I don't see great work coming from them when they're in that realm, you know, from my perspective. So it's interesting, though. It is really interesting because I don't think union is the complete answer, to be completely on honest. I think it's good to help secure and, and help people that are older or they want to get into this industry. They have a family want to protect that. I think it's awesome and they should have that. Um, but I'm just not sure if it's the work that, you know, it's it's a, it's a big com con conversation. Maybe you, me and Chris should do some time, you know, <laughs> Three where, are you based at, where are you based out of? I'm in northern San Diego. So, oh, okay. And was Chris in LA or something like that? If he was California, right? Or something like that. San Fran? I think he's... I forget. I, I don't know much about him, to be completely honest, but I believe he's in LA because I think... Doesn't he do this stuff with like uh, Art Center? And Art Center's out here in LA. Oh, is it? Okay. It's in yeah, Pasadena, yeah. so... 
Oh, okay, cool. And I'm in I'm in fucking Boston in yeah. a beach town. It's <laughs> so cool. It's like, I used to I used to live in Waltham. I was telling you in the email. Oh, yeah. right, right. Yeah. That's funny. I, I used I grew up in Needham. Okay, yeah. Um, if you know that, but then I was <laughs> yeah. in New York City for ten years doing Do doing the thing. Right? Yeah. But then now I have two kids. Um, Congratulations. Thanks, thanks. And you know the DP industry, like you know my platform is essentially bringing up cinematographers and helping them in many ways. But my personal view on the cinematography industry and the future of it is pretty bleak um, as far yeah. as what where what our role is in the next 10 years, like on a movie or on any creative endeavor is that a live action DP compared to like, I don't know, like a VFX artist. It's just like we do nothing. You know, we are lighting the people on the green screen and then like the entire world is completely made virtually. So it's actually, I don't know if I, I didn't talk about this, but like, you know, part of my platform is to bring DPs, especially young ones who are chasing this dream of like, oh, I'm going to go film this movie. It's like, yeah, yeah. We don't like quote unquote film movies anymore. Like we're kind of like the live action guy kind of films the elements, hail on in third floor, previs, all the sets and the camera moves. And then ILM does all the, does all the lighting. Like hmm. that's where like, that's where the movie is made. That's where it is made for certain productions. Certain um, productions. Yeah. Yeah. It's so not got Roger all. Deakins, you know, he's getting, but that's very like, you know, that's like the 1% still that are still existent. Exactly. Holding, exactly. holding that torch, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, there's the, there's the outliers, and they're the ones that win the Oscars. Then there's the rest of the world. You're talking about like yeah. the ninety nine percent, ninety not the hundred percent. Like <laughs> if you yeah. name all the top DPs that have won Oscars, that they don't even they're not even a percentage. You know what I mean? That's just like it's like it's it's even in my opinion like high end cinematography like that like that like aspiration is even more unlikely than being a professional like sports athlete because there's a lot of there's a lot of basketball players in the nba sure how many dps every year are working at that level it's a very low amount you know but when the reality is i try to look at i always have and this is what drew me to um chris as well is that i and not everyone agrees with me of course but like i look at cinematography at this point as design i try not to get too arty now art it's 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 hard to break away the two, but I think that there's a lot of people who put the art side out in the world. So I think that that's being handled like, oh, this is artistic. This is the feeling. This is the emotion. We've got plenty of people teaching that and talking about that world. But um, there's not as many people talking about the design aspect. Like, how do I represent something for a brand to sell a product so that you can make a living? And, and that's something that is very pragmatic and like kind of like a tech school way that I teach cinematography. You know, I try it's to look tactile, at it as though. So at least it's quantifiable, you know, because, well, it's, you know, make... it's not impression. Like, you know, when you're talking about the art side of things or the impression of things, it, it gets very um, cloudy quickly. You know, it's, it's hard to really nail that down properly. Yeah. And because I worked in advertising, essentially music videos into advertising for 10 years, it's like, when you get into that world, we're like, oh, it's my vision. It's my art. Like, you don't understand it. And like, you can't, I can't show you what I'm, what I'm thinking. You just have to believe me. Like <laughs> that stuff gets people into a lot of trouble. And what it all comes down to is like, at the end of the day, it's like, I want to make the product that the person that hired me wants. And I want to keep them in business and I want to do a good job because I would like to have some sort of consistent living here. I would like to be able to like consistently put out good work, you know, and that's um, I feel like that's not a message that gets put out into the world. It's like, let's think about this like a little bit more like a business. Let's try to, you know, make sure that we're looking at the things that I think are important as far as like running like a cinematography uh, brand, which is a DP or something like that. And like, look at it a little bit more like 
I don't know, like more pragmatic. Like I think the way that like designers probably take on like a branding job for like Apple or something. It's like or, or like Google. It's like, oh, we're going to rebrand the Google logo. OK, well, it's like it's not someone's artistic whim. It's like you're doing market research into like the demographics. You're looking at like, you know, the, the shapes that are going to make sense. You know, we're going to simplify everything. What are the color palettes? Like it's design. You know, it's not like. I'm going in my closet for 10, you know, for 10 months, I'm just going to start painting. And like, you know, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. We exist in a marketplace and in an even more flattened marketplace than we ever had before. Like everyone sees everything. Everyone's a critic. You put a logo out, you rebrand Verizon. Billions of people have opinions on that design. You know, it can't be like a, a one-off anymore. And I think that there's a lot of confusion with young people. And I think I had this as well is like Tons of art, it. art versus commerce, art versus design, you know, like blah, blah, blah. But like, it, 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 no one talks about it in the cinematography world. Everyone just considers all cinematography art. And I'm just like, that is just gone, in my opinion. Like, that doesn't work. It doesn't work, and it leads to, like, asshole DPs, essentially. It, it leads to, like, dictator creatives, which is, like, I've worked for. It's just, it's not good. So I have a lot of, I don't know, pans in the fire, whatever we call it, to, <laughs> to iron out. It's just, you know, it's just it's just my platform. And so there's going to be people that disagree and well, want to do things differently, but that's my way. Well, you know, you can only do what you're going to do no matter what it is, you know, whether you're on that side of the spectrum, which you're looking at, you know, taking cinematography and breaking it down, as you say, as design. There's also, you know, there's people out there that are wanting to be in that expressionistic creating art in that realm as well and you guys are both going to either clash or agree but i think this what it is is it's you doing what you're interested in and focusing on that you know and i think that's what's interesting about the variety that's out there is there is a good good variety of all that stuff that's so what you, you kind of touched briefly on it but i'm curious i mean i have a lot of questions here i wrote out a bunch of them as i was getting planned ready for this today um and I was actually just like, ever since I woke up this morning, I was like, okay, what do I got to, what am I going to ask him? A lot of times before I do an episode, I like to just really immerse myself. And I only had so, so, so much time to really get deep into this. But one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is what you were kind of leading to is the future of this, the future of the industry, um, where you think it's going. I noticed that you're using a lot of technologies and a lot of interesting, new, innovative forms of technologies to get your ideas across and also opening up avenues for people to use these things. Where do you think it's going? Ten years. Give me a five. Give me a five year where we're at and then a ten year where we're at. Hmm. So uh, what, what we see across the board is that directors want more freedom. Right. And we want and the, and the writers, the people conceiving stories want more freedom you know so you looked I, I always think about lord of the rings lord of the rings was written a long time ago right but there was no way of producing the visuals for it it was impossible but cg hit a certain point where it was now possible like yeah we can do like a thousand orcs we can actually show a million whatever you know we can we can show a sauron's eye and what people want that people want new imagery authors want to have liberty to make whatever they want so like those are the creators you know like so i i think that audiences want to see new things and creatives want to be unleashed to write whatever they want so we look at game of thrones i think it's a similar thing you never saw a tv show yeah. be able to have dragons and that, that level of integration um and what's happening is that to create those visuals we are relying more and more on um, visual effects, which I actually think visual effects as an industry needs a rebrand because I think visual effects comes from um, the post workflow where it's like we shoot something and then we do visual effects to it. And yeah, it's really not it's that all anymore. Integral. Yeah. yeah, visual effects 
is is the thing is production in my opinion now like it's become Lord it, of the Rings yeah. is the production and like the live action that used to be the production is kind of like the 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 live action previous part so i see that the majority of the conception of anything creative on a large scale happens in previs and that's with Halon, the third floor pixel liberation front all my buddies at those companies they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting of this what the cinematographers used to do like planning angles planning blocking the directors are getting into it you give them virtual cameras virtual production how the jungle book was made i'm friends with the people at dd Tintin who have, too. Yeah, who've been, yeah who've been making all that shit and then it's like and then when it comes to executing it like jungle book it's like yeah all the lighting everything the production of that is is going to be in CG and then you combine this now with virtual production augmented reality pokemon go and virtual <laughs> reality as far as a platform delivery which i think is like pretty much everyone's idea whether it launches in the next 5 years 10 years 20 years yeah. who knows all that stuff is happening uh, virtually, and you have so much more control. You can break the laws of physics. You can decide to respect them because I know everyone loves like the physically based reality rendering now. But eventually, because I interviewed the 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 DP of the Lego Movie, the virtual mm. guys that did the lighting for it, it's like they're like, yeah. yeah, we respect it when it makes sense, but then we break it when it's fun, you yeah. know. So it's kind of like if you gave a li- live action cinematographer, you were like, hey, guess what? You can just float in space. And like, hey, you want that mountain over there moved? You move it over there. You want three suns? Let's put three suns in. That's what that's what it is. And that's the unlimited creativity. And that happens virtually. So I see everything moving into that direction. And it's not just high-end movies like ILM and like Marvel. It's like, no, it's going to be everything. And now there will be like, you know, Vice TV. Vice Land's going to go out and film the real stuff. And that's going to be happening. But when you're talking about creating a narrative in a world, I mean, even watch Fincher, if you really understand like where he draws the line with what's real and what's not, increasingly a a director like Fincher, who's very technology savvy and like mostly invisible visual effects, you would never even know that there's face replacements and all this stuff happening. He's just seamless with it. I mean, he dabbled for a long time in purely CG. He was doing, Dave Fincher was executing purely CG Nike commercials, who I know the CGDP of that. He yeah. was doing, um, you know, stuff with Fight Club and Panic Room and what he does now. It's like there's so much seamless visual effects that it's like I see that becoming the main production hub. And I see the relevance of the live action DP that cannot work in that space uh, waning. I see that their relevance is literally out the door. The live action cinematographer was a thing that existed and was awesome, but is essentially not uh, going to be relevant moving forward if they do not evolve into working in the virtual space. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. There's always going to be the outliers. And I think what we're saying here, if you're if your heart set on being, you know, the next Roger Deacon, please do not take what we're saying as any advice. If your heart's in it, you'll do fine no matter what, because it'll be tough. But if you really are passionate about it and you know what you're doing, you're going to eventually find yourself wherever it's going to be. But I, I can 100% agree with you. And I think one of the things I would say to attest to that is, you know, looking at Sin Designer and what you're doing with that, it got me really thinking because there's been a, I've been writing this uh, film and for a while now. And I was thinking to myself, a lot of the things that happen in the film are quite complex. And I figured, you know, when I started to use, say, Cinema 4D, because that's my main program as well. Oh, nice. When I started using Cinema, um, just setting up lights and doing it, um, setting up lights and doing that stuff inside of cinema it helped me really understand how I would light things practically. I became a much better 
um, I don't know, director, because I had all the pieces there and it was, I had every, any kind of camera I wanted, had anything basically that I wanted, you know, in any kind of scenario, I could break reality. I can keep reality as we talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, and having that ability and that potential to do that, to use that, to tell the stories, I think really helps when I think it does counter that is, um, when you have too much options and then you get lost in the, you get drunk by the options basically is what I consider it is when you have too much. And I think, you know, I'll go back and I'll use certain things. And the, a lot of my, a lot of my taste comes from nostalgia, things that I grew up on ET, uh, Blade Runner, Star Wars, all that kind of stuff. And when you look at, mm-hmm. let's use Blade Runner, for example, if you use Blade Runner visually as a visual experience, it's a very special visual experience. And I think a lot of it, or even say alien was a lot of, was just necessity making things work on the spot and on the location. And those little interesting nuances that happen on set through really crafty, smart people that are just intuitively going through the process of making something, you lose that when you have abundance, if that makes sense, you know, and that's something that I've been really fighting with as I'm studying and and becoming my own director myself, really starting to understand the limitations of things and how that benefits your work and how you can craftily, you know, figure out things. Michel Gondry was really well known for that kind of stuff. He would make his music videos with limited resources and, but they're really, you know, very intuitive and very interesting. They're limited, but they're quite genius in their limitations, you know? So I think there's a lot of things, you know, cause a lot of the, my biggest quorum I have with the 3d and the CG guys is like, they'll go crazy, like fucking balls crazy with lights and everything looks like shit because I see everything and I, there's no mystery. There's nothing to it. Again, this is personal taste, but it's like, man, why did you use that lens? Or why is there 500 lights on this thing? Like just because you made, it doesn't mean I need to see everything, you know? So it's, I have my own quorums and stuff, but those are all personal um, quorums, you know, I have with it. But that's what I find with CG. It just gets be, to be ridiculous. You use like Lord of the Rings, for example, you know, like there's some ridiculous stuff that happens in that last film that they made The Hobbit. So and it's like, you know, I th- I'm wondering if a limitation helps with it, too. But that just comes from, I think, the, the, the end user and the end creator, really. So making those decisions. So, yeah, I, I would I think what's funny is that. Um, people say CG, right? Like that's, that's just a medium. It's just a tool. It's like saying painters, right? It's like, oh, painters do this. It's just that because of technology, the way that it's come up is CG was so expensive that it was only for tentpole movies. Really the ones to point the finger at are tentpole movies, like ones that have to be like basically like visually appealing without language, like without um, a single author behind it. It's kind of made by committee. Um, I think that that's what CG has been so far, but I do believe that CG and virtual production, so to speak, is going to be at the point where anyone in their bedroom could make um, a fully beautiful CG movie. We're moving there slowly. Yes. But it's going to get there soon. And all that stuff. Yeah. It's going to get there soon enough. So it's like, it's it's like, okay, so yeah. So like one, one Fincher could go make an entire movie and use the restraint. It's just that the way that it's been birthed is that, yeah, it's like being used by people that want to keep things very safe, very commercial, very whatever. But I think we're coming into a, a place where it's going to be used by the right person. And I look at anyone's artistic um, journey as they're learning. I went through this with music. I went through it with cinematography. It's like, first, you just want to be able to do the thing, yeah, right? So it takes action. a while to get there. And then you want to do it as big as possible. I was like that for a long time. Like, I want I want the 50-foot techno crane. I want as many lights as possible. But then you hit a point where it's like, okay, I've done that. 
that doesn't feel like very much to me. Like, what? How do I exercise restraint and choice in this? We're still in the do it as big as possible phase for CG. That's we're still yeah, like, oh, like true. it's like oh, like uh, like there's like a million orcs in this one. We did it, you know. It's like because <laughs> you have to get over those technical hurdles as an industry. It's been like that to be for a able long to time, make though. Pixar has been doing that since like ants, you know, the, the crowd scenes and all that kind of achievement that they've accomplished, you know, it also, I think it's a lot of congregated, sorry for cutting you off, but I think it's a lot of just a lot of people living in islands, basically, and not everybody's working together harmoniously and figuring out problem solving, you know, the guys over um, in New Zealand might be thinking about like orgs and, and then the guys at Pixar might be thinking about the same thing, but completely different stories, but solving the same technological issues, you know, and trying to solve it. But instead of, you know, because they're on separate islands, it's not getting shared i think like unreal engine vr the whole like shared community kind of stuff that's really going to take things to the next level and you see like um did you watch that um i think it was silent hill that cycle where you go in the circle um it was no. uh, <laughs> which one's that um it was a really great teaser for the video game uh the um it was uh, kojima's and i think it was del toro and kojima made a game it was like the tra- a trailer for it if you haven't seen it, you should definitely watch it because I think that's where the future of this stuff is going. Is um, it with the live capture where like the girl like like walking around? There's like a live Unreal demo that this like indie studio put out, and it's like live performance of a person in Unreal. No, I haven't seen that. The whole man, the whole Unreal stuff, and what's going on with that, and um, it's just it's getting it's getting out of control. It's really crazy because it's 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 literally like you're saying it's the evolution basically, you know, and like, you got to really open your eyes because whoever's going, coming up in this industry, um, you're, you're equipped with so much more than we had, but at the same time, you have a lot of choices to make, um, as to what you're wanting to do and how you want to get there. And you're right. And I think absolutely the industry is still in that, like, we have to put everything in there. You still, we do have, you know, we're using Fincher quite a bit, but he is a perfect example of a director who makes usually pretty damn seamless cgi uh work in his films but that's because he comes from ilm he comes from that lineage and he also has a certain you know approach to things and how he problem solves and stuff so um but i'd love to see a fincher inside the unreal engine world you know something like that would be really he's interesting. done it so, has he? he's done it what he's he done? done he's done full cg nike commercials i'll send them to you know like, i mean like it. it's it's like old school but like it's his lighting. Now, I don't want to get too political about Fincher lighting and that sort of thing, but like, you know, like he, he has a look. I mean, like it, when someone frames up a Fincher movie, it still looks like a Fincher movie, you know, like it's like, <laughs> so like when he does that in CG, it still looks like a Fincher movie, you know, yeah. so it's like single lights, Kino flows and back lights and all that stuff. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's uh, how, to, how to name it, but it's like, you know, it's very much, I mean, I tried to, I tried to put it into words. I have a better aspect looking at it now when I was doing the Fincher breakdown, but it's like, it's, it's, and I'm coming up with like I, I keep refining my my rules for cinematography. Like, what are the things that are like inherently "quote unquote" beautiful? When someone says, "Oh, that's a beautiful photograph," mm. people think that that's subjective. I think that it's objective. I think that the human mind is programmed to like certain things. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. I'm sl- and I'm and I think the concept artists get that 100. But as as a photography cinematography person, I'm. I have the rules in my head and I execute them in 3D constantly and I'm always refining them and looking at other movies. I'm like, I believe that I'm going to be able to define a rule set that is objectively beautiful. So like, even if you just executed those rules and you did that, regardless of what it was, someone would say that's beautiful. And I, mm. I think I think that those things are, Fincher has that. He understands how to how to make that happen. It's usually very simple 
but it's a lot to do with like reflections and backlight and how things are composed. I believe that there is a rule set that's pretty universal to how humans like like things. It's kind of like how beauty um, of face is somewhat yes. universal. How yeah. humans react to face shape is kind of universal. It's from evolution. I believe the way that we've learned to survive as humans how we see things, how we perceive things, things that are beautiful. I mean, you basically look at the sunset at the water with the reflections and the bright sun in the center. You kind of have the makings of what I believe is the objective beauty of beautiful um, photograph or art or something like that. Sure. I think Fincher has that. He has got that down. Well, of course he does. He has the eye. He's been doing it for long enough and he has his own style, how he likes to make things work. So absolutely, I think. And that's that's a complete science too. There's actually a lot of interesting things. And in. have you been following that Stranger Things? I haven't watched it yet, but I've read a little bit about it, and Ever, all that. everybody's been telling me about it. You know I have, about that? Like, like, like you, I only take the time to watch a movie if I'm going to make money from it. And you know what I mean? In a way, like, <laughs> like it's 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 that simple. I mean, I'm running a company here. I don't, you know, yeah, you're I'm busy. I don't, you know, like if I'm going to sit down and watch a movie, it's because I'm going to screenshot it, talk about it, promote it, and it's going to essentially boost my brand. So I, I don't, Stranger Things, like, yeah, I, I could stand to, I mean, like I said, like if I dropped a cinematography, not that I can do this anymore, but if I dropped cinematography of Stranger Things, I interviewed the DP, which I could, I could probably get him pretty easily. I could do that, but I, I haven't, That's, but I haven't watched, but I, I acknowledge that it's, um, trending <laughs> yeah it's trending it it's, it's interesting what i've heard is it's aggregated information from netflix's pool of data and it's they're basically putting all these things together and kind of formulating this thing that's like this um like we're talking about when you take the formula of what's good and then you mash it all together and you give it to people the thing is i think from what i've seen is it's it's an interpretation from past things that are special, which is like, say, um, I saw some correlations to like ET, for example, which is a very, mm. very well shot photograph movie. Very well. There's some very, very good for my personal opinion. And I could sit there and break down all that stuff the same way you do as well. Just, Oh, look at the fog use here, the lighting, the setting, the tone, what, where is this character at in this story? How's he feeling? Why is the lighting helping you feel what he feels and stuff because again it's the lighting is is really it and how you see the light and everything so um but it's interesting because i i and i can't have a real strong opinion obviously because i'm uneducated and i watch a lot of stuff off of pleasure I, i'm constantly watching stuff or listening to things and and so that's one of the things i haven't gone through just yet i'm in the middle of rewatching the wire so i'm kind of like that's nice. <laughs> nice and the wire is incredible so it's just one of those special shows you can't stop but when i get a chance to i'm excited to but i'm curious to see because I've heard it from a lot of friends and it's almost like Star Wars. The Star Wars analogy for me is like the new Star Wars is like it's parts of the old, but it's not the same thing at all. And it's it's kind of like a weird planned interpretation. I, I This is going to offend, offend some people, but whatever. I, I equate it to like it's like I'm, I went and saw a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, and, and I look at him. And he looks just like my old friend. And then. It's like somebody's got their hand up his ass and puppeting him, you know, like <laughs> that's my friend, body, but it's not. Yeah, it's body snatchers. Exactly. And it's and it's I mean, I don't know if it's nostalgia talking and I'm not trying to everybody that worked on. I know I have a lot of people that worked on it. I, even I worked on it for a little brief stint. And I think that it's just, you know, it's just a planned business model at this point. You know, it's like when George originally wrote that and made that he had a lot of passion behind that he was pushing. And also he was a business person, but he had a whole vision for it. And so it's just a different thing, you know, and I think 
to go and talk to about what you're talking about, there's there is a formula. I agree, but there is also something about there's there's something I can't explain yet. I'm still trying to get at it. It's eating at my head every day. I'm trying to figure out what that is. But there's something that is missing in that that you have to have. You have to have it, whether it's learned through time and being exposed to constant experience or whatever it is. But there's something that you know David Fincher will will move his frame a millimeter to the right. Whereas most directors would be completely fine where it is, but because he moves it, it becomes his own frame. You know what I mean? It's kind of hard to explain. And all those little nuances through everything, the way the lights hits, the framing, casting, all that stuff, you know, and it it all adds up really. So, but again, personal opinions, nostalgia has a lot to decide with where my, my opinions come from, my taste, you know, what are your thoughts on taste? You know, like there's a lot of stuff that you're ironing down and you're very, like obviously very business oriented, but what are your thoughts on taste? Well, you know, from from what I what I've seen in, in my short time on the planet and trying to understand what creativity is and what makes big successes and what's you know, what taste does what, I, I think that like you said, um, that a lot of the times the artists and I just watched the music bed documentary make, so I'm a little bit influenced by that, but a lot of the times I think like the greatness is a mistake. And it's random and it's the person in their closet doing it by themselves for themselves with no input from the world. And I think that you are, you know, the accumulation of all your experiences. You're making the thing that makes you feel good. I I feel like you look at like Lucas and you look at um, just a lot of the great creators that like some of their first breakout projects is because they were just being weirdos themselves. They just weren't worried about it. There was the risk was just like if they were going to like it. And I think that that's when interesting things happen. Yeah. Um, and that's, you'll see that in music, I think. And that's like kind of a one hit wonder. It's like, wow, that's a weird, awesome song. But then we look at those and it's like, yeah, okay. So everyone has like the flash fire, one hit wonder creative thing. That's really cool. I think in any industry you could name that person, but then you look at the people that are repeat offenders of that. And what does that mean? Yeah. What is that? Like, how did you, how did your taste transcend? And we'll see that I worked for uh, a commercial director in New York city who, uh, was a creative director on gap in the nineties when it was like the on white and the music and like they're skating and they're dancing. I don't know if you remember that ad campaign. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, that whole series. I mean like that's Fall like into the gap or something. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> that was, he thought of that shit, you know? And then like, <laughs> then he went on to brand target, which then took over the advertising world again, target branding. So it's like, this person is a repeat offender. He's like, yeah, my, it's like my design taste, my aesthetics with pop culture. I can like these people, like you talk to some of the high end fashion designers, they're like, they're like, you talk to them. They're like, I basically decide the color that like hundreds and millions, millions of people are going to wear next spring. Yeah. You know, I think they talked about that in the devil's advocate or so, someone, some movie about fashion and, and music. They're like, they're like, there's people that are like, yeah. So this design style, like when this hits, it's going to be the world. You know, it's kind of, I feel like it's like some of the designers behind Apple, you know, like some of the sure. original designers, it's just like, so there's, there's something there. And and to me, that's what I'm interested in. Isn't the flash fire. I think there's always going to be like that weird artist and I can name a lot in the film industry. Tons of them. Yeah. But then, like, who is who stands the test of time? There's something to that. There's a science behind it. That's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in like the the one off because I can't figure that out. But I am trying to figure out what is the common thread through this. I believe it's mm-hmm. there. That's cool. And and the search for that is it's going to take both of us in our lives to really search for that because only we will only understand that by doing it ourselves. And I think that's really. Um, the core of it is uh, by seeing greatness that ex- is exposed in the world around us, but being able to interpret it and then re 
um, gurgitate or whatever, manifest it out into the world. I think that's only then will we understand really what it is to be that, like you said, the repeat offender. Have you ever seen Heart of Darkness, I believe it's called? It's the Francis Ford Coppola's documentary behind making the apocalypse now. No, I'm familiar with it, but I have not seen it. it. You should watch it. There's a there's a thing he says in there that's quite genius. And it was he said this many years ago because I'm not sure if you're aware of how he made that, but his wife documented it. And again, it was kind of cool these parallels because I, you said that your <coughs> wife or your girlfriend at the time had gone gone and followed you along to your shoots and documented what you're doing, which is quite interesting. Um, but his wife documented his process of going to make this film, Apocalypse Now, which nearly almost bankrupt him and drove him crazy and he almost lost his mind it was just a crazy journey but at the end of the film he said you know someday i think word for word from my where i remember he said some little fat girl in virginia is going to grab her dad's camera and go make a film and it's going to be genius and that's really what art is he was just explaining it was really interesting the way he was articulating it and he was kind of at his wits end because i think he was dealing with all the nuances kind of like you know, if you get into, say, 3D or CG or something, you get into it, you deal, you realize how fucking hard it is to really make something great. Like, let's say making skin, for for example, realistic skin and CGI is quite complicated and you have to have the right machines to do the blah, blah, blah and the know-how. He was right in the thick of it, much harder, obviously, because he was dealing with, like, the Vietnamese government and all these things and helicopters and napalm and just, <laughs> just like the whole lot you know and and it's, it's interesting you should definitely check that out because what he had said at the end of that whole experience was quite profound and very unique and it's you know i love to listen to people that have had and gone through those experiences especially when it's so close um how 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 they re kind of expose what it is that they're going through because it's 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 a rare moment that people push themselves that hard to experience these certain things and i don't know this is really profound everybody that's listening i suggest you watch it too if you're interested in film and in any capacity i think you should check it out because it's it's older but it's really good so so yeah i stumbled upon it and i was like wow i don't know if i want to be a director after i watched that i was like because i'm pretty intense and i could see myself going pretty crazy so yeah <laughs> well directing is one of the hardest challenges in feature films are are, are big endeavors, but so like, I mean, it, it brings up a, a concept that I, I'm dealing with currently and, and think of quite a bit is like, I'm on YouTube a lot. I follow a lot of YouTubers. It's actually one of my big things that I'm going to be doing in the next few years. But like you look at YouTubers, right? You look at some of the most popular ones and we're talking like, we're not talking popular, like in a small term, you're talking like every video they drop, which is like every day is like 30 million views. So this, this is like major viewership. Part of the reason I believe that that is so engaging is because it is literally a single person's view on the world and it's consistent and it, a lot of the times it's unfiltered and that's that's usually what makes them, yeah. I think, I think engaging. Then you compare that to say like a Conan O'Brien. You, can, you compare that to someone who's the old model, the old media model of that sort of thing. Not that engaging. I mean, it's, it's, it's forced engagement through marketing, through all these other things, but YouTubers... Because of technology, it used to be very – because of technology, it's now easier for a single person to put their vision out into the world. So you look at building a brand like Jay Leno, how technology how, – how difficult that was to film him, to get the audio, to get the guests. You know, They had to fly the people actually in. Yeah. It was very expensive, very difficult, very cumbersome. It was the same thing as making a feature film. It was very difficult because of technology where it was. Now you look at technology, I, I could pick up my phone and I can be talking – to my audience technology smooths out 
you know, these things that used to be difficult. So like, which one is the better uh, entertainer or which is the better medium? Uh, it's it's hard to say moving forward, but I, I see that in filmmaking because filmmaking used to be so hard. Yeah. Exposing it still film. is pretty hard. <laughs> it's, it was hard, but yeah. it's so much easier than it's it used to be. It's getting easier, but it's still oh, very it's, difficult. I'm in the middle of a short film right now. We're right in the middle of production and it is not, it's not easy. That's for sure. It does take t- a lot of work, a lot of work still. It's, it's a lot. Everything is a lot of work to sure. do well because it's yes. all about being the top 1%, but the pure mechanics of it have allowed, I believe, for faster iteration. And I yeah. know this and I see this with cinematographers. Like yeah, you, right. it took you 20 years to be a decent cinematographer in the past. It just did because it was film. You'd expose it. The, the opportunities were much less. I see cinematographers that come into the game from another industry and like they have talents in art or design or something like that. And literally three years are competing at the top level. Yeah. Not, not top level like Deacons and like the, I'm not, when I say top level, I mean like <laughs> industry top level, which is my term. Commercials and stuff. And, and not high end. Like the people that are doing like the top 1%, it's like, it's like, I'm not talking about like, oh, in one year it's like, it's like if we're doing a sports analysis, it's like, yeah, you're not Kobe, but you know, you're still amazing. But yeah, you're not the, 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 the top, top, top people. I'm talking about like top industry, like still making like $300,000 a year as a DP. That is achieved now so much faster than it ever has been. And people are going to like, you know, think what they think about that. But I talk to about, I don't know, two or three new cinematographers a day. I have a big arsenal of data behind most of the things I'm saying. People are making it that quickly. And yeah. I've seen it in careers. Um, I did it in about, I would say like eight years, something like that, because I was still kind of that art thing. But technology is changing the way that we create. It's still hard to make good things because we're all on the same platform. We're all using the same technology. So you still have to rise and fight for it. But the speed that it happens is a lot different. You look at like what octane means for the rendering world. <laughs> 10 years ago, it was yeah. like, oh, cool. Okay. Let's, let's, well, first of all, you weren't even doing GI back then. It's like, oh, I want to see what like a light bounced off of a gray wall looks like next to this ball. <laughs> yeah. Pixar has been faking that. Yeah. Faking GI for so a long, long time. Yeah. Kids nowadays, you get the free cinema 4D trial, you get the free octane trial, boom, real yeah. time, whole fucking thing. You know, it's just yeah. like, it's crazy. That changes things that you can't den- that that's going to ripple through the industry in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I'm excited and actually working very hard at cultivating the people that are doing that. And I think a lot of that's happening on YouTube to build what the next media model and content creator is going to look like because you're not fettered by like, oh, CG rendering. That takes a long time. It's like, <laughs> what happens if someone thinks that it doesn't? Yeah. You're like childish in your thoughts. You're like, you're like, oh, daddy, I want to like, you know, like, 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 like the three was like, oh, I want to make like a. I want to make a 3D bear and I want to make them run around and I want to look realistic. Like 20 years, you'd be like, okay, son, sit down. That's going to take like 50 people. It's going to take like a week to render it. <laughs> now it's like, oh, cool. Yeah, here's that bear real time. Yeah. What does that go to create? It's different. And so that's, I think, what he was talking about with Heart of Darkness in a way, not so much with the technology, but it's like, he's like, I'm going through schlogging through all of this, like logistics and money and all this stuff. But he's like, but there's going to be someone, I don't think he was talking about technology, but that's what I'm taking from it. It's that like, oh, with my iPhone, and my like little AR app where I can composite a little CG bear and I can puppet it myself in real time and it looks good. They're going to make the pure art because they're not fettered by like how it had to be done before. You know, it's like, oh, well, yeah. we can't use two bears. Like you think about like Lord of the Rings. It's like we can't have two golems in the scene. That would be too expensive. But like what if it's like, yeah, we could have five golems. Yeah. What, is that a better story? There's going to be someone unfettered by that who's going to be able to create. That's what we hope. I think that's what I took from that. I, I have my... My real sure. that, but I think that's what he was touching on. That's how I feel about it. I, th- I think you need to bleed a little bit for your work. To be completely honest, I think to make great work, it takes it t- it's got to take a little bit out of you in order to make it. That's just my personal standpoint, though, and I think it's really important to 
give that part of yourself to it, which is whatever it might be, dedication or whatever. You talk about Octane. I have six GPUs now, two big-ass PCs in my office now because Octane is, that's exactly it. It's helping me see and envision the things that I would never be able to before, like, you know, like maybe a year ago or something. It's just enabled me to have the ability to see through the worlds that have been in my head I'm finally getting them out finally, which is a lot of fun and being able to use the computers properly that I've always wanted to. It's really been liberating basically, but, um, I think it's important from my standpoint to make really great work. Um, I think you can definitely make great work without it, but I think from me personally, um, I have to give something. It's like something that has to give. And then that's just, maybe that's coming from an old school way of thinking where I come from drawing and the drawing on paper and that kind of stuff and coming from that that world it's like if you're going to be a good artist you need to train your eye and you need to train your hand and then you need to you need to know how to translate things to paper and that takes certain thing out of you which takes time and discipline and i think it's the same thing for all the rest of this but it is getting quite interesting as you're saying like using the analogy of the bear and, and all that kind of stuff it's it's gotten really crazy and I'm starting to really see it heavily because I'm living it right now. I feeling I'm right in the middle of it as a creative myself feeling quite liberated with all the options that we have for, for a creative that's coming up. There's so many different options. Um, what, how do you decide what makes the most sense for you to put your time in? That's one question I get from a lot of my students. Where do I put my time? What programs should I use? Blah, blah, blah. How do you tackle that? Well, uh, like in my story, like if I had to give someone advice, it might be a little bit different, but I always wanted to work in Blizzard. Like, so I'm like, you know, I'm playing Starcraft. I'm watching the cinematics. I'm like, well, that is awesome. And I, I don't think that I've lost that ever. I still want to do that. So I went into computer science because I thought that's what you did. That's what how you made computer art. Um, but then I went to New York City and I interned at a stop motion house and visual effects house. And I was like, wow, this sucks a lot. Because this is like 10, 10 years ago. I was like, you're like, you sit here and like, you're just lighting like the foot. Like, what about, how do I make the whole alien move? How, how do I control the camera? He's like, oh, no, no, like that's like five. That's a different floor. I was like, what? What do you mean it's a different floor? I want to, I want to make this movie, you know? So I just looked at CG back and I was like, this is bullshit. I'm not fucking doing this. Like, so, and I, at the time I was able to work on a live action set because they were stop motion with a motion control crane. They were doing like, actual like um, stop motion photography and CG. So I was like, oh, well, I'm going to hang out with these guys. At least you look through the camera and you saw the whole frame. So like, I'm like, how am I supposed to judge this without knowing what the background is? Because an animator works against a gray background. They're not, they have no context of the set in a meaningful way. Even now, even yeah. now they still don't have a meaningful background in most cases with animation because you want that playback. So I saw this incomplete picture. I was like, I want to see the whole thing. And that's what live action cinematography was to me. It was like when I look through the camera, I see everything. And then I can kind of also, I have a better perspective with the filmmaking. And that's what I wanted. I thought that like in CG, I was like, oh, well, there's the there's the hydralisk. <laughs> and I want to put the camera below the hydralisk. And I want to light them from over here. This is all StarCraft terms. This is like an alien. Um, <laughs> I never played I, I the thought, games. I don't know. Okay, so it's a, it's an alien. It's like you picture like a big alien, you know. It's, sure. I was like, I've I seen Blizzard like stuff. Yeah, yeah. The like, cinematics I like are great. This. Yeah, I, I like them. I mean, I think I will, I'll, I'll leave it that. But yeah, like you know, like so I wanted to do that thing, and I've always chased that dream. And funny enough, it's like I it's it turned into live action for me. So I started doing music videos and working on movies, and I did commercials for a long time because that was a lot of fun. Um, but what I realized there too is that like, oh well. 
if I were going to shoot the live action Starship Troopers, there's no actual alien on set either. So I'm again in this place where I'm like, I still don't see the whole movie. I'm <laughs> shooting where the alien's going to be, but I'm not shooting the alien. I'm still not getting the whole picture. But I see it now. I see it now with the Jungle Book. When I talk to Girish and I talk to the guys at Digital Domain, you're starting to almost get it where there's real people and the CG thing, and you're looking through it with virtual production technology, we're seeing the whole world at once. That's what I want. I know this is not like exactly your question, but like I want to see everything, and I want to control everything. And I think that we're getting there with technology. It's like if you want a real person and a real set and some CG stuff, we're getting to the point where you can do that all at once. You can see everything and craft everything. And I think that's what we all want. It's like, no, I don't think anyone got into like 3D animation. It was like, oh yeah, yeah, I really want to animate one person against gray. And yeah. Well, you know, I want to do like, only like texture maps for shoes and this whole exact, thing. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's, not to de- it's not to demean that role. No, but it's, honestly, it's, like, it sucks. Yeah. Technology, like substance designer and like a lot of the things, I mean, if we get into computational creative work, I've got some views that will get me kicked out of probably every group I've ever been friends with. But like, <laughs> I think that we're going to get to that point where we can view everything at once and have this like organic, um, like, like if, if your world was like, sculpting like i can actually hold the whole sculpture i can actually touch every piece of it in a meaningful way i don't have to like oh what if we like change the background uh, two days later after 30 different people did it it comes back to me i'm like uh, that's not quite what i meant but we're gonna ship that you know like i feel like that's a little bit how the workflow is now i want to like actually touch them out and i want to touch everything i want to light the hydralisk in the real world i want to do all of that at once. So for me, I've always chased that. For someone today that's coming up to actually answer the question, I would go with what just feels right. Like what makes what makes you feel good? Like, is it a real camera in the real world? That's great. Is it the infin- infinity void of 3D that like gets you going? You know, like what is it that feels good? And I think that's the same thing with music. Like if you're like a musician, it's like, cool. Like I play the drums, but what kind of music are you going to play? It's like, well, what kind of music do you listen to? You know, it's that simple. Like, so like, what kind of visuals do you like? Is that primarily in CG these days? Is it, is, are you all Deacons and you want to just go all natural light? You know, like, not that he does all natural light, but you know what I mean? Like do photography, you know, like what do you like? And I think that's all you can really do to start. You can't reverse engineer it because if you reverse engineer it with, like you're saying, all art is pain, all industries are competitive and you're going to have to do it when it doesn't make money. You're going to have to do it when it sucks. You're going to have to do it when it means you have to divorce your fucking wife. It means you have to like give up your life to do this. Cause that's who everyone that's achieved like those levels. You have to have that kind of commitment. You better love the thing that you're doing because mm-hmm. if you're going to give up all that and you're like, I don't even really like this, then <laughs> be honest not, with like, yourself. <laughs> so I, I said it in one of my YouTube videos, you just have to be truthful with yourself. It can't be like, Oh, my friends are going to think it's cool. Oh, my parents think this is legit. It's like, when you go home by yourself and you're alone, which is like, you know, I think a lot of the creative life is like, I'm alone in my house, in my room. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did I feel good what I did today? Yes. If you did it, it's it's going to be a really bad time. So it just has to be like real with yourself. What do you like doing? And don't ask your friends. Don't post it on Facebook. You know, don't put it on ArtStation. Just be like, no, this is what I like. Hmm. That's that's what I see so much, especially from mature artists. They're like, I just stopped pretending to like things and I just did what I liked. And I think that's where the best music and the best art is really coming from. Well, I think because it's a communication language, creativity at its core, I mean, I'm speaking in very broad schemes, but when you're actually really completely doing quote unquote art or creativity or creating, I think you're literally exposing who you are internally, your tastes, your values, how you like things. These are all 
when they're not like you said it perfectly. The YouTube star now is completely different from the Conan O'Brien. Both have their merits, but one is actually becoming more more far superior and taking a lot more attention because of the the transparency and the the lack of you know like you know all that stuff that goes along with the marketing and all this like you can't say certain shit and you can blah 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 and it, there's the transparency is very important i think people want to be able to connect directly get a direct feed you know i want to know this person i want a direct feed to this person's opinions and views whether i like it or not i want to be able to know whether i hate that or i like it but i i'm addicted to the being close to somebody that's being authentic and i think people being authentic and exposing themselves out there like when you're when you're going through your your stuff and you're like the I think one of my favorite videos that you've I've watched of yours is when you're going through your old work and you're you know talking about it, you're like man I'm about to cry this is so much fun this is interesting like these are pro, uh, past experiences as you've gone through and it was interesting because for me I was thinking to myself I kept looking at myself and I was like ah I wouldn't do that I don't know if I could do that I would be so ashamed you know but I thought it was pretty ballsy and so I was addicted to continually watching it because I was like oh what did you do next because you're doing I'm vicariously living through your experience basically and I think that is a very important thing when it comes to creating work is being very transparent because you're communicating things whether it's making a YouTube video about your past work or uh an animated short or whatever it might be um I think being very transparent and also like you said I second your advice and your and your suggestion that you must love it when you're alone with yourself what is it that you're doing are you playing video games or are you drawing you know there's a difference between that they think there are, a lot of people get those things confused there's one thing to be a super fan there's another one to be a, a content creator one thing i want to ask you about is imagination you know when you're coming into this next realm of all these things what happens to people and there's a lot of people i noticed that don't really have imagination it wasn't really built into them or they don't have like that ability to have an imagination where does that all come from um hmm. so i mean i think that that comes that reminds me of a story about um when i was playing music and i went to a i went to a camp uh berkeley uh in massachusetts for jazz drumming and jazz drumming is pretty difficult it also has a deep history it has a lot of like uh cerebral parts of it to understand how to do it correctly and i got put into a class with people that were just way above me i just think it was like a small group of people that were interested so i just got put in with like professionals and uh i was just so terrified like i watched them like we all play it's like a room of five people and like an amazing teacher they're like okay let's uh you just sit down and you play something and we'll talk about it it's like oh my god really like seriously and I, so i'd watch like these other three people play and they were doing stuff i'd never even heard of i was just like what is that like and then i had to play <laughs> And I, I was I was pretty good, I think, but like not at that level. I, I, I don't think anyone like was like, oh, wow, that person sucks. It's like they just know where you're at. They're just like, you're just not that guy yet. That's cool. Like you're still trying. You're here. You're doing good stuff. But I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed and so terrified to actually hit the drums to make a thing to the creative equivalent. Like pick up a whack, a whack on tablet or pick up a camera and shoot something. So I think that like. People can become afraid because you're looking at all this other people, all everyone else's work on the internet now. You see everything, and it's just like you're just constantly comparing yourself. But you're afraid to, to make something. So, you know, I I really you know fight against the idea that some people are just not creative or not um, imaginative or don't have it in them. I think that there's a lot of people that are just too afraid to do it. As as all I see, and I think mm -hmm. that imagination is a muscle. I think that you know if you try, if you keep 
exercising it, you can at least find what's in it. Now, it's like, you know, if you listen to Gary Vee, which is probably way too obscure of a reference to kind of a business influencer online, um, you know, he would say that talent is a big part of it. So like if you, it's not like not everyone can be Kobe Bryant if they put in 10,000 hours right into the basketball. You're just not going to be. There's some people that are inherently good at it. So there's that way of looking at it. But I really believe that, you know, imagination is a muscle and you just keep working at it because unlike sports that is a little bit objective, creativity is pretty subjective. And I think that in this world, because of who you are, someone that's going to resonate with somebody. So if you just do your weird thing and you work at it and you're honest with yourself and you keep trying to make it better for you, that will resonate with someone, especially if you're doing this thing on like social media. Like you start an Instagram page that's like, I'm going to shoot my toe on the floor every day and I'm going to keep getting better at it. I do think that you'll eventually create something wonderful out of that, you know, for a certain group of people. So that's kind of my... There's never been a better time than now to do such an obscure thing too and somewhat have a following of people as well, which is quite interesting because of the technology and the reach of all this stuff. And, and building a living off of it. Like, I mean... It's crazy. That's, that's what I've been... That's what I've been doing for the last year. I mean, or two years. Like, I'm a, I'm a cinematographer... And my wife was and still is. She's still more active than I am. But like an advertising photographer, we we're in New York City, like earning pretty top money for what that is, you know, living pretty well. Sure. But to me, it didn't feel right. I felt like I could do something not better, but like just something different. I felt like I wasn't fully using everything that I knew because like I know I pull a lot from 3D, clearly with the amount of 3D I do from design and from business. I just felt like there was more. I was just like, I was like, I can do the cinematography and all the 3D stuff and everything I know about business from working in advertising and put it together into a thing. And I've been living that, you know, I've been living like, can I just do my weird thing, which is, I don't even know what to call it. It's kind of like, it's pretty prolific what you're doing. You're constantly doing stuff though. It's pretty cool. Where's all this prolificness come from this hustle? Where do you think this comes from for you? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, I think that any of my friends would like tell you and my, my wife who I've been dating since high school, I think. Like we've been a long time. Uh, she's known me. Like I've always wanted to do something, and like even all my friends, I would get them all together. It's like let's make websites for people. They're like let's go make a movie, or let's go do like I just hmm. always wanted to be doing something. I did extreme sports. I did music. Like I was the drum drummer of a band, and like the practices are at my house. I'm bringing the people together. You know what I mean? Like it's like I've always just tried to put that together. You know, I've always been wanting to to make things and, and put them out of there. This stuff extremely, extremely. Okay, As an only helps. child, completely completely bankrolled and, and able to to do that. But, you know, and I sometimes I look at like, you know, my I think my uh, what is it? Uh, nice upbringing and like, you know, very supportive parents and, you know, funded everything. But like awesome. at the same time, I know a lot of people that had the same things, but like I'm the one out there just like putting it out there in the world. It's like just because I came from like, you know, a pretty decent uh, background financially, it's like I'm still just out there like just putting it out just yeah i wouldn't guess that it's kind of cool yeah i mean because you have a hustle of a poor kid (laughs) you do yeah yeah you have this hustle like you you know if i don't do this i'm done so it's kind of interesting to see that and that's cool to hear too i think having a good supportive upbringing is really important i don't think it makes or breaks i think sometimes it breaks you if it goes too low beyond it if you know you're yeah of of, of course you You just can't even 
yeah, if you have if you have abusive parents or something horrible happens to you, that's really shitty and very unfortunate, and that's the worst thing they could you know that's just horrible. But if you have you know some support and people believe in you, I mean that little seed could grow to be so big when you you, know, you look at it like oh when I was five years old. My grandmother said I could draw really well and that sat with me and I felt like I'm a good artist. And then like I had um, Vitaly Bogorov on the podcast and he was explaining how, you know, when he was younger, his mom, he would just draw and stuff and his mom would tell him, reinforce like, hey, you're good at art. And he said, well, I guess I'm good at art. And then he just kept doing it. And now he's, you know, he's just crazy. He's a Vitaly, you know, so he's like a one of a kind. Uh, creators out there and so i think that you know having that reinforcement really helps too so and i think um but the hustle is something that i always found interesting because i'm very similar to you i was in bands i did uh, you, you mentioned doing break dancing i do jujitsu i used to break dance um i mean nice. all, all these things are a part of me but i was always active in bands i was the guy that was putting everybody together and and wanting to make things and wanting to, to participate in things and i'm always curious to wonder like why was it so hard for my other bandmates you know not to feel that same drive you know or um other partners and things or whatever and i think the older i get the more i can find those partners and the ones that i weed out that aren't worthy of my time and kind of finding my tribe basically you know because you, you want to do is for my purpose in life is surround yourself with good like-minded people that's what makes a good life you know and the more you can do that the better your life quality is going to be um for my opinion you know so well, you know, and to talk about, you know, the upbringing part, you know, I, so the beginning of my career has been was uh, once I tr transitioned out of 3D because I was like, this is not what I want to do. I was like, I chased music videos and I chased 90s hip hop videos because that's what I watched on TV, MTV Cribs, MTV making the video. I just chased it. Like I was like, I want to make those big hip hop videos. And I did that. I actually got to the point where I was shooting for 50 Cent for Diddy for those guys, you know, and like it wasn't the same level because you know, the music industry kind of did what it did and the budgets for the videos did what they did, yeah. uh, which is basically going down for people that don't know the budgets went away completely. But, you know, I, I learned from being around hundreds of hip-hop artists at all level from the very i this is gonna get me shot but like you know so like people that were like drug dealers that wanted to make hip-hop videos i've done hundreds of i don't know hundreds i've done a lot of those videos it's like just and like and i've seen what that hustle looks like uh to have to sell drugs to make money and i've put a lot of time in with people like that um, and made their music videos. And when we filmed them cooking crack, they were cooking crack. And when we were filming <laughs> cocaine, that was cocaine. And when we filmed guns, those were guns. So I've, I've done that. And I've also done the pretend ones. Like when we're working with, I did some stuff with 50 Cent in New York. Those are fake guns. And like, that's kind of a, <laughs> kind of like playing around, but like, you know, their stories, like when I, when I see people like 50 Cent, it's like so easy to look at like the surface sure. and where he's at now, but like his story and like where he comes from. I mean, it's not as bad as like some people's story, but it's like, that that was hard. That was really hard. It was really dangerous to do what he was doing. It's really hard, but he still made it work. He was still making that happen. And if you watch, um, I just like have hip, like hip hop probably way too much. But like if you watch um, Straight Outta Compton, you know, like if that's at all true about Dr. Dre and like how that's how he came up, yeah, and like the the tumultuous like trying to be awesome. Well, you want to make he just wants to make music, but people yeah. are getting shot. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> some stuff. Stuff something comes out of that that's real. I think with Jay Z, with Fifty Cent, with a lot of those people, and I and I and I think I absorbed some of that while I was there. You know, I think mm. that I came from a very sheltered suburban community and going to like fine art school. I did a lot of fine art painting and drawing as well. Um, that sort of thing. I think that's all great. 
but it really like smacked me in the face when I hit a little bit of the real world. And I was like, wow, like you guys sell drugs to make a living and like you got to shoot each other to, to like, this sounds terrible. But like it, th- I was talking to some of the people like that. It's like, they're like, yeah, that's how, uh, that's how we live. And like, that's how serious this is. It's like a life or death thing. Yeah. And I think I absorbed a little bit above that. So when I came to New York City, I was like, this is my life or death thing. Like death. I keep saying death. Um, <laughs> my life or death thing is cinematography. The in you. It's coming yeah, out. Yeah. I, I used to dress like it. I think we'll see that on my Instagram and YouTube. I'll be talking about it. But like, that, that's my thing. I was like, I'm the camera and my work like this is how I survive and I it, it always has been and even the way that I run cinematography database now I don't know if it's apparent but like this is how I survive and I have two kids and a family and a house and cars and like I have a lifestyle I'm trying to upkeep from when I was shooting commercials so like w- what I put into this company is actually more than I put into my cinematography career and my outreach and my my goals are much bigger with yeah. the reach I'm trying to you have gain more freedom from the- though. This is a completely new platform for you to, to expand upon it. And it's up to you basically to be as big or small as you want it to be, you know? Exactly. I mean, you it's why I it. get up uh, when we were launching the software. I mean, I, for people that don't know, I have it's a huge, yeah. I, I want to talk I've, about some designer actually. Sorry. Go ahead. So when I was launching that, you know, I had spent a year um, basically being a DP and an entrepreneur and making a company and making a product. So I was in Boston. I was driving back to New York City, I don't know, like five or six times a month, you know, to shoot commercials, make money, come back home, work on the company. Yeah. At the time, the business people I was following told me, they were like, you need to get up at four and go to bed at midnight. Yeah. And I did that for months to make that work, to make that transition happen, to keep yep. the money coming, to build the products, to do the things. Also, burning through savings. And like you burn through savings quick once you start cutting out the work. It goes really quickly. Yep. So I'm balancing all these things. And like if people wonder why I put out as much content as I do on Instagram, why I have cuts of all my videos on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, like why I do all this stuff. It's because like this is still my survival. I look mm-hmm. at it like... 50 Cent might have done, like, I feel, I guess I'm like, I'm trying to make myself 50 Cent, but like 50 Cent was <laughs> when he was, you know, selling drugs, but wanted to be an artist, right? Yeah. So how do you go from selling drugs and living that lifestyle to being like, oh, I want to, I actually want to run like a label and I want to be like a really good artist, you know, yeah. and make music. I'm still in that phase. I'm still Transitionary like, phase is the hardest phase you're going to have. It's always the hardest. It's the no sleep phase. So it that's, enough, that's the hard part. Yeah. I'm in that too. <laughs> that's all, yeah, I, I get that. You know, so it's like, where's the hustle? I don't know, but like, I'm still in it. There's no happy medium. I'm not like, cool. Now I get to hang out this. What I'm doing now is the, is it allows me to hustle 24 seven is the difference. Cause when you run your own company, every second I can put into this. When I was a DP, it's like, someone has to hire me. Someone yeah. has to let me loose on the world right now. But like now I'm just like, I can just make things 24 seven. And I do like, I am, I'm on Skype interviewing. I am creating videos. I'm collaborating. I'm going to be flying out to LA to London to meet some of my users. And like the stuff I can put out is 24 seven and people will eat it up because YouTube is 24 seven. If I dropped a video every day, people would still complain to me, be like, I wish your videos were longer. Yeah. I wish, I wish yeah. that you would put a little bit more time into, I still get those comments, you know, after my hour long YouTube videos went away, people are like, you know, I think we deserve more videos from you because these are so much shorter. I'm like, yeah, well, I have a 50 minute limit on my account. I can't make them longer, but people want it, you know? So that's, that's the world a good we're thing. in. It's a good thing though. It's a good it's problem a great, to have. Yeah. It's a great thing as an artist. Like you said, it's like, as an artist, it used to be like, you have to wait for like a gallery or something like that. But like, yeah, you oh, know what? God, that I make dark times. <laughs> daily renders on Instagram change the world. Cinema 40 Octane daily renders. Boom. I'll give you a new piece of art every day. 
100,000 followers. You know what I mean? Now you can sell a t-shirt. You're going to make $50,000 when you drop the t-shirt. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the world we live in. I think it's great. I think it's the, I think it's an awesome time for yeah, it. It's such a different really, economy. It is a completely different economy. And I think like you're saying, I'm in the same capacity and I, I'm constantly thinking it's the same thing because it's, it's an opportunity that basically you just open up the world and say, what do I want? And then you can go and get it. If you have the will and the hustle, and I will say like you'll attest to this, I know is there's a lot of late nights, you know, in between projects and passion projects and running your own companies and, and doing all these things and having obligations, you, you're going to have to lose something. You know, one thing I found out is you can't be the best at everything. It's just not existent. You're going to be really, really good at a lot of things, but you're going to be great at that one thing, you know, whatever that is. And that's going to be your chief aim, whatever it might call it, whatever you call it. I think it's really important to know that. How do you manage your day to day? Because that's the one thing I always ask everybody too. I have a, I have a complete system myself, but I always ask uh, other prolific people that I have on the podcast, like how they manage that. There's a couple books that I've gone through that I really enjoy that I also recommend to everybody, but I'm curious uh, do you, are you, are you mean you, yeah, you got two kids, you're a husband, you know, uh, do you have a personal life or are you just kind of just in beast mode, work mode nonstop? So the reason, uh, one of the big lifestyle changes for me was with uh, child number two, we were in Manhattan and being a DP and I'm not, I'm not even on TV and movies. Don't get me started on what that lifestyle really looks like <laughs> from the, from the inside out. I mean, I know that life, yeah. like I was like traveling, like a week, I'd go to LA for a week and then I'd come back and I would be in Brooklyn getting up at like five in the morning and then coming home at midnight. And like, you know, just, it was the same thing, but I was always away from my family and I was about to have a second kid. And that was challenging because we were in New York city and we were away from family. So, you know, that kind of leaves my wife a little bit isolated. I've talked to crew. I've talked to DPs about that phase of your life. And they were all told me about like how difficult that can be. And that's why a lot of people in the film industry end up divorced. It's it's kind of the ruiner of a lot of families yeah. um, historically. Like I, I, I wasn't going to go true. there. I, no, no, I haven't, go. gone there. I haven't gone there on any of my other platforms like so much yet. We're going to get there, I think, uh, once people trust me a little bit more. But like, it can happen, and it happens really easy. And so, it's quite common but, too. Yeah, yeah. And so, part of my company was to be like, what can I do that I'm still creatively fulfilled, that I'm putting out things that I want to in the world, and can make money but I don't have to leave my house, you know? So that's, that's, that's <laughs> what part of the goal was. And like my company yeah. is if you, if you look at my videos and my YouTube videos, it's like, this is my attic in my house. There's not no front here. This is not any, so I'm, I eventually will move to a studio maybe, but like if my wife needs me to come down and like help with something or like, I try to take, um, what I, a lot of people talk about, like, if you talk to old people on their deathbed, what do they regret? And like, what's their favorite memory? Like I, I latched onto something that someone said, I don't know where I found it from was that like happiness can be gauged in the number of meals you have with people you love. Uh, and that's something that's something that stuck with me for quite a while. So hmm. every morning I have breakfast with my wife and my two kids. Hmm. If they're not out, I'll have lunch with them as well. I'm going to stop whatever I'm doing. I don't schedule shit over lunch. And then I have dinner as well. And you talk to a lot of hardcore people in the startup software world. They would be like, you're insane. You need to work 20 hours a day. You don't see your family. And I'm like, you know, I came from that mentality in the film world. And I get that. But I've also seen where that leaves you in 20, 30 years. I get that. I see that. But like my kids are three and one. 
in 10 years, they're not going to be three and one. They're going to be 13 and 11. If I did my math correctly on the fly there, I didn't pre-calculate that that was on the fly math arithmetic. So <laughs> I, I, I try to build my life um, with that in mind, you know, during the launch, that wasn't the case, but sure. pre-launch I was gone. I was just for about a year and a little bit, I was like kind of gone, yeah. but I knew that I was trying to get back to this place now and we're not still in the place where I can like chill it out, but I make that time. So, but, but basically every hole of time between that is producing podcasts, it's networking, it's building business relationships, which take a long time to do correctly. Like the companies I'm working with, they're not, these are not easy things. I have to balance the budget of the the legal fees to talk to these companies and all sorts of stuff. So basically every second I'm not eating with my family, essentially, because that's the, that's the thing I kind of isolated as I think that this is going to be valuable. Hmm. Um, do you have a system? Working. Do you have a system that you work with? Like, do you write out lists? Do you have itemized things? Do you use a calendar? How do you go about it? Because, I mean, if you're going to do that, if you're going to be really at that next level, it has to be a science at that point. It has to be a formula. Your time, I always say the richest person, the poorest person, spiritually and monetarily, we all share the same currency, which is time. And how you use your time defines you as a person. And for me, I use it as I have a formula. Do you have one? You know, I, I know what you're talking about. And I think I've probably read the books that you're talking about. And I know the people that would sell me an online course on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I would say and what I've found is that because my company is so new and the medium that I'm speaking in is so new that and it's something that I, I appreciate about YouTubers is like they don't just hold it down. They're like, this is what works. And I'm going to do this. I had a schedule where I was getting up at five and I would write for an hour every day. I used to follow someone that said, write 5,000 words in the morning. And I did that because I was blogging. Mm. And then I blog and I turned that into YouTube content. I turned that into podcast content. And you can actually watch the early part of my company. That's how that content rolled out. But now I'm a lot more reactive and I try to stay a little bit more fluid. And I actually kind of like wake up in the morning and I blast like techno music or K-pop. And I just wake up and I just try to feel creative. And then I try to go from there. And I know that's not the best way to start certain things you need to be able to create without like the, the up but i've actually dropped caffeine which is a i've dropped caffeine completely after talking with a lot of people about long-term uh, energy management but no i'm i what I, i'm very fluid with how i spend my time right now i think mm -hmm. that like sometimes like okay i'm gonna add a little bit more to the youtube channel it feels like that needs it and like oh this week i'm gonna do like eight podcasts and, and pre-produce them or like now i'm gonna really like, cause like sometimes I'm like, oh, I, now I need to model, like, um, I need to model stuff in 3d. So I'll model for three days, hmm. you know? So until I can afford to, um, pay people to do that, I'm working very hard. I actually uh, outsource my programming now outsource is the wrong word. I have a partner who does my hardcore developing. So I no longer have to be programming 24 seven. Cause that was a lot of programming there. That's very hard to do. Your mindset for programming is completely it's different. Completely different. Yeah. Yeah, then social media and draw. It's just, it's much, it's a little bit more <laughs> infuriating. Yeah, yeah, it's more infuriating. So I have someone that's a hardcore <laughs> developer who holds that down. Eventually, I'm going to give up the 3D modeling too. I consider myself a very poor, hard surface 3D modeler despite having. You do it all in cinema? Work. You do your modeling cinema? I started in Maya. Maya is really my like strength, but I do it in cinema because cinema has certain tools that are good for cinema end users, which I'm going to be doing, but I'm going to be outsourcing that too. Outsourcing is the wrong word, but I'm going to be hiring a full-time 3D modeler and I'll be like, cool, now I can output new 3D models every day. That's cool. Um, but, yeah. but for now, because I'm, I'm still very much a solopreneur, I have to be a little bit dynamic with where I put my time and it's a, maybe it's a little bit infuriating, but I don't have a, a system. No, I have you the don't things write lists out of goals or things that you have to take care of or anything like that? You just keep it in your head? I have some of it written down. But it's so fluid, honestly, like every day it's crazy. Like my wife says, she's like, every day something new happens. And it's like yeah. that, that changes like, you know, like 
Um, I mean, when you call me for this podcast, I was like, that feels like a priority to me. I'd like to put that happening now instead of like at the end of when I was free again, which would have been like a month from now. And then like all of a sudden I'll get contacted by someone like, uh, who, who can I say that's not breaking NDAs. It's like, I'll get contacted by Adobe sure. directly or like HP. And they're like, oh, we're really interested in what you're doing. We want to support you. It's like, okay, well that's taking the, that's taking priority now. It's like, so I have to sure. balance like my customers who are using Cine Designer, my audience that I'm building on YouTube my partners who are creatively building the company, my family, it's very fluid. So I tried, I, I kind of, I can live in that. I can, That's I can cool. deal with that chaos. I don't have lists. I have lists, but they change a lot. I guess I live a lot on G calendar. So I use a lot of G calendar stuff, but it's very fluid and I will break commitment commitments and flights if I have to, because I feel like priorities have changed. I don't feel like it's that helpful for me to be a stickler on that stuff. And I think mm. that comes from being freelance as well. It's like, Oh, there's a job tomorrow. We're going to Florida tomorrow. <laughs> so I still yeah, live a little bit of that crazy world, but still from my attic. So I don't have like a, a list like that. I, I tried to make it work, but it's, I feel like I'm a little bit of a, uh, always, always juggling, always floating. And I have to be, I feel like being responsive and being able to dynamically make a decision in a, in a priority call is valuable for me as a solo printer where I can't just be like, you're always 3d modeling. You always handle my, social media, you always handle the, the YouTube comments, you know, like I have to be kind of fluid because I, I'm unfortunately stretched thin at this point. The company's almost at the point where I can start to hiring people full-time and get a facility, but I'm still just keeping it overhead small for now. Cause it's yeah, still it's, new. It's smart to do that too. You want to make sure you're, you're not jumping, getting too big too quickly though. So yeah. Um, you mentioned one time, I think one of your interviews that you're an introvert, I, hard, I find that hard to believe, especially having this decent conversation with you for the first time. Um, but you mentioned that, is that true? Cause I, I was originally quite an introvert as well. And I still have traits of that myself personally. Um, but yeah, what is that? Is that true? I would say that now I am a confident introvert. Um, <laughs> But again, you and I are speaking. I'm in my attic. That's true. Yeah. In Boston and you're in San Europe. Diego. Yeah. In my in office. San Diego. Home office. So, yeah. and like, I'm wearing my comfortable pants. I'm now wearing <laughs> black Crocs. Uh, I'm at my standing <laughs> Ikea desk talking into the mic that I talk to every day. So I feel very comfortable here. Sure. And that's, what's great about YouTube is like, I can project confidence in things that like, you know, 50,000 people are going to watch in a week. But I'm just talking to my camera, you know, and, and I, I can do that. Now, when you put me into a room like because uh, there's there's no road, there's no world where me running this company doesn't end up in me doing public speaking at SIGGRAPH at NAB. Like I just have to do that. I, I already have some of those things like starting to come together. And that's terrifying for me. And on top of that, I know that to build the connections I need within the film industry and the software industry and the VFX industry, it's going to be after parties at conventions, after film festivals. That's just inevitability. Uh, I got a soft invite to be at a big after party for VidCon, for big, some big YouTubers where that's a lot of the brand deals happen. Yeah. Um, that stuff I told them, I was like, that terrifies me, man. Like you put me in a room with <laughs> techno music and celebrities, I'm just not going to be able to like function, you know? So yeah, I, I am still very terrified of that stuff, but I pushed through because- it's pretty crazy that an introvert can be so big on, in, on a different space. So as you said, you know, you can be like a huge celebrity on YouTube, but you're really quite an introvert. I love it. I think it's so ironic and funny and interesting. I, I yeah, quite, quite similar. I think it's quite cool. <laughs> it's technology, you know, like, I don't it know. Is, like, yeah. I'm a, I'm a studier of YouTubers. So like, if there's any, if I, if anyone questions, like, not that I have 
a grand success on YouTube or anything like that, but it's going like, okay. Like, you know, like I study YouTubers, like I used to study cinematographers because I believe that they are the future of content creation in a lot of ways. And, uh, who do you follow? Who's your top three that you follow? Um, well, so I think Gary V is a big one as far as business influencer. I follow, um, Roberto Blake is doing good things in the design world. Uh, Chris Doe, I follow his YouTube channel now, his school platform. And then just the big ones. Like I follow the gamers, uh, gamers. Usually I follow a couple of top beauty bloggers. I just top anyone that's dominating in that field. I like to look at them and be like, well, what is it that you're doing? Right. And yeah. I, I look at a lot of people. It's consistency, I, I, huh? Well, there's, there's so much to it in my mind. There's so much deep uh, about building that up. But like there's someone called SS Sniper Wolf and she's a, a gamer and she's like, I think like f- 6 million subscribers. Like, she drops a video. It's like 10 million in day one, that sort of thing. And it's her in her house in tech or in, uh, uh, where is she from? A- Arizona talking about playing video games and just talking to her camera. Millions of people per day are on that, you know, and it's like the brand deals you can get from that are easily livable, sustainable, like times, times what people would have no, would be floored if they knew how much those people make from that. And she talks about it. She's like, yeah, she's like, people are like, oh, why don't you collaborate and like go to the clubs and party and like go to the big events, like all the other big YouTuber celebrities. She's like, because I like making YouTube videos in my house. (laughs) I'm wearing my pajamas today and I like make, I like, I don't want to leave my house. I'm having fun here. My boyfriend lives with me. I have my dog. I get to play video games and talk to my camera. And that's what I like to do. And it blew my mind. I was like, oh wow, she's not trying to be like a celebrity and like be at the party. Some people use YouTube like that to become that person. She's like, no, I like playing video games and I love it. And I like talking to you guys about it and because of that i like watch people like to watch her play video games because that's what she likes to do i yeah. wonder if i like talking about cinematography in my attic so much that people yes. will do that. you exactly know will follow it. you know it's weird it's a weird world it feels odd i'm gonna have to go out there but i see this and it's kind of an experimentation but i mean I'll, I'll, it's been working yeah. <laughs> it's so far well i think it's you're putting the passion out there i think that's another thing we've talked about it's like you're being transparent at least that's my uh, evaluation of it the people that i find that i would spend any time watching or following. I find that they are putting themselves out there properly with their emotions or like whatever it might be like, Hey, I'm really passionate about this, or this is something that I'm into and, and you know, being entertaining in some capacity or education or, or revealing it. But, you know, another thing that's quite interesting as, as humans is a lot of us, we have our own opinions. Some people, their opinions are dormant until somebody else comes out and says, Hey, I believe about this. And then they go, Oh, me too. I didn't realize it did that strongly. And then, you know, you mm-hmm. have fans and followers and stuff. It's a very psychological thing that happens, but it's a very interesting thing. And it's a very interesting time that we live in. There's like, I believe there's a vice documentary, um, on like, you know, the guy that just like crushes it with the video game playing. And then he, uh, is like a multimillionaire or something. He's at least a young kid. Oh, Pewdie- um, Pewdie- PewDiePie or someone else? I think it's something like that. I, I, I'm completely new to all this world, but it's quite interesting what's happening with everything. Um, I think it might be that guy or, um, and there's also like that comedy shorts gamer. Sometimes I watch him cause he's really funny. Um, but he's got a whole following and he's got like, he's a young kid. He's got like a Lamborghini and Porsche and all kinds of stuff, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting world, man. It's really interesting. It's just interesting to see, you know, where, um, where things are going and, and, you know, the value of things and where, where that all exists. Uh, you know, how old are you? 31. Okay. So I'm two years ahead of you. I just, I mean, there's, there's part of me that's like, but if it's all here, what matters? Like if there's not, like if you don't know the, like, because they'll say like, okay, oh, that's my friend, but it's somebody that you've never met physically and mm-hmm. you've never, you know, there's something that you have a connection with, say like your wife, for example, you've gone through childbirth and 
creating a life. Um, that's something that is so authentic and special that you really can't have that depth. There's also levels, I'm sure, you know, with friendships and stuff. And we're talking about the internet and all that stuff. But there's something that I find really interesting about where this is all going, how fucking superficial it all is, you know, but it means something. That's what's weird. Like this superficial reality becomes this valuable thing in the physical world. It's just blowing me away. you know. So it's just for me, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, it's like a head trip that's happening constantly. Cause I'm like, Whoa, like this is really interesting. I can't believe that all this is happening, you know, that people are valuing this stuff so heavily, but there's something there as you're seeing too, and you're studying and being aware of, and I have to be aware of, and some of my business partners when in consideration to like learn squared and what we're doing, you know, cause it's, it's all part of it being a partnered with Twitch and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's all part of a plan to help get people educated and, and informative and stuff. So yeah, it's interesting though. Yeah, I mean, I like what you're. I, I don't know the story about Learn Square. Maybe we should talk about it like off channel. But I can, I can fill in the blanks. Like I, I've seen the channel out there. I saw you guys launch on social media. Like I follow enough designers and VFX people that, you know, I know some of the instructors that sort of thing. But like, you know, people. People want to be led, right? So people people do not want to make decisions that they feel like are going to lead them in the wrong place. And then again, this comes back to like when I was playing dr- jazz as a drummer. Uh, I was like, I was terrified to hit the drum. I didn't want to do it wrong. I didn't want to be embarrassed. I didn't want to make the, the wrong thing. So people want to look at people that seem to be doing it the right way and they want to follow them. So that's, and there's a there's a lot to be said about the human nature in that way. That's how yeah. presidents work. That's how, um, you know, celebrity, a celebrity is not quite the right word. There's a difference between like celebrity and like a hero, right? What's the difference between a celebrity and a hero if you follow that whole mindset? But like, People, people want to do that, you know, and they want to follow people. And there's people that, that, that fill that role well, you know, and talking about it's, it's something that I've been dealing with lately. And I think you probably do as well. And anyone who's out there in the, in the social media world is that you get hundreds of emails a day from people and they're all legitimate questions and legitimate wants. But you get this thing that's called, a, I think, parasocial or pansocial relationship where like they know everything about you, mm, but you yeah. know nothing about them. And it's something yeah. that I've been studying and like, you know, cause I've had my, I haven't had death threats yet. I know that's coming. I know that that's part of being a YouTuber and part of that whole thing, but like, you're gonna, you're gonna like, you know, incite people and it's either going to be positive or negative. And it's usually both in a kind of an even amount yet. The negative people are usually the loudest versus people who really like you. They're like, that was a great video. Like I'm out, you know, but the people that are mad at you, they're the ones that sit there all day and troll you on the comments, you know, <laughs> but you'll see that I think hey, how what do you happens, deal with trolls? How do you deal with that? Uh, I'm terrible at it. You know, for the first year on YouTube, I was getting <laughs> I like, like your so transparency. Bu- I love it. I was so but- I fucking hate so trolls. <laughs> oh, I was so butthurt. I was like, you know, and like the funny thing about the film industry is a couple, a couple of grips. Uh, I will say one grip. I talk about this on the podcast. I put out a YouTube video. I forget what it was about. I was like pretty banal lighting content. And someone was like, you know, like they're like, who are you? Like you're nobody. Like, you're like, how do you, how could you even call yourself a DP? And I was like, what? Like what? Like really? Like, and the, the crazy thing is because it was on Facebook. It was like, I was like, I know who you are. Like, you're a real person. I'm a real person. Like, look at my, look at my friends on Facebook. I'm friends with like a hundred ASC DPs. I'm like networked so deep in the film industry through social media. It's like you, like, why would you say this? And I actually started blowing him up on social media. I was just adding like all the people he works with. I'm like, I know your boss, dude. I I know the people that are going to hire you like tomorrow. Like I know all of them. And I just started like blowing him up. And I was like, that wasn't so nice. And then I was like, I'm not going to do that anymore and be cool and just ignore it. Or I try to make it fu- like a funny response. It'd be like, it's like someone's like, you're a loser. I'm like, thanks for calling me. A loser. You know, just try to be funny about it. But then someone yeah. did it again um, about the five things about working for free video or something mm, like that. And they just yeah. like went to town. And I was like, 
you used your real ID and you run a production company in California hmm. and you're publicly like trashing me. Like, and it's not even like, it wasn't even like, um, like objective, like, you know, things that would have been like, Oh yeah. Like that's an opinion. It was just like, just like attacking. I was like, personal I attacks. Know- yeah, I was like, I know you. I was like, and I found her on social media and I blew her up, you know, and like, and like, I mm-hmm. always wonder with some of the big YouTubers, I'm just like, because they're not industry, right? Like I'm talking, I'm the, I'm in the film industry. I was like, oh, like, I'm like, you realize like when I at you now and I basically copied her post and put it on Facebook, like 500 people are going to see that yeah, and they're going to understand who you are. And like, I can literally start to mess with you like your career, your company, I can, ne- now that you can't technically do that. I had to take it down because there's like, there's some laws with online harassment and stuff like that. Like if, as from my position, doing that to people, so I can't do that, but I have a hard time dealing with it still. And I don't believe in, I don't <laughs> believe in backing away from it. Cause I have the platform like, Oh, like you're bringing that hate speech here. I'm bringing it back to you like times 10. And I know you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> I see YouTubers yeah. who, I see people who do do that. I see people that blow it off, but then you see things with like, you know what the what the women are going through with Gamergate. You know, with getting online, getting harassed online, and like mm. just all this stuff out there. I'm like, I feel like I want to put out positive content, so people aren't gonna to. like freak out. You need but to. then it's like when you come at me, I'm like, I always want to just be like, oh, okay, we're calling we're calling the gang. I'm like, there's likely I've likely got people <laughs> in the town. Thug, the thug in I was, you. <laughs> I was like, it's like it's gonna get real. It's like I'm gonna put it on my YouTube channel. Like, so hey, this person left this comment. Go pay this person a visit. Send them some nice emails. Let them know what you think. People do that. I don't think that that goes well legally, especially if something ever happens. But like, I want to do that. But you know, I I just you I don't be the know. Better person, yeah. Is is it the better person to not stand up? I don't I don't know. I guess that's it's, the I guess uh, that's my answer. I just don't know what to do with it me, yet. Me neither. It's a conundrum, you know, because you when you're putting yourself out there and you're you're authentically trying to make a positive influence on people, whether you're telling them what you think or not, it's it's to have an opinion. Same with like with Chris when he put that out there, you know, like. Whether people agree with him or they don't, it's an opinion and it's his. And, you know, um, it's going to create both positive and negative effects. But I have the same thing, you know, they have things with the school. Like there'd be some just people that obviously Mm -hmm. aren't in a good place with their life and they're seeing me succeed and they're just like, they're hating on it, you know, no matter how, you know, how much I give to the world and what I'm doing, the podcast or whatever it might be, teaching people or sharing my ideas and things. Um, still just a you know a shitty person basically at the core it's like man you're, i just feel sad for them you know and when you really got to go deep down and figure out like why that person would be doing those things it's mostly because they're just dissatisfied with themselves and they see in you what they want to be but they don't know how to do it so they just take it out on you and like that's like a very like you know this is advice a mom would give to their kids you know but i really think deep down that's really what it is it's a it's a it's it's a want and a need and you almost have to pity I know that sounds rude and messed up, but at the same time, I think it's very true. You have to kind of pity, um, pity those kind of people because it's like, you know, what are they? It's, it's sad, you know, while you're going out there and be prolific, there's going to be haters, you know, it's just, it's so damn unfortunate, man. I freaking can't stand it. It's so, such a bummer. So, so I'll say this much, like, because I've come from like the bottom of the film, like I've come into New York city. I was like, Hey, I'd like to make movies. Who wants to help me? You know, like I had no connections. No, I mean, I had like some money, you know, I had mm-hmm. a camera, that sort of thing, but really no real, no real way into it. So I've been at the bottom. So I've been at the bottom for a long time looking up at these people. And it's yeah. easy to, to, to be like, oh God, you guys make me feel so insignificant because you're doing such great work. 
and I haven't even begun. So like, it's you can either look at that and be like, wow, I want to be like you, or it could be like, wow, I, I just hate you. You're just so good. Like, what the hell? You make me feel like crap when I see you. So I've been there. I've been the troll commenter. Uh, if I had to be honest, I've been the troll person. I've wow. been the person that drops that nasty comment because, <laughs> and, and, and I and I feel for that because I know I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to be like, oh, I've you know when it comes to what, what I've picked up on because I actually do a good amount of research and psychology research into this to kind of understand how this whole thing works. Yeah. Um, something that I grabbed onto recently was that some people say that there's people that see similarities in things. They see what's the same. In something mm-hmm. or there's people that mentally he was saying that it's like honestly wired into your brain like you could scan them and tell who they are by their brain patterns i don't know if that's true or not. but then there's people that see the dis they see what's not they see differences mm-hmm. and it changes everything about you it's like so you see someone who's like positive and you meet them they're like, like you meet someone and they're, and they're like oh i like your shoes i have similar shoes to you a friend of mine has shoes to so like it's like they're gonna pick up on these things that are the same they're gonna look for what's the same and that typically is a positive person but then you'll have a negative person who comes in they're like they're like they come in like oh like your socks those suck you know just something they just they immediately go to what's different mm. they go to what's different from them you know versus like you you hang out with someone long enough there's similarities you're gonna find it are you the person that finds the similarity and wants to talk about that or are you the person that wants to talk about the differences, hmm. you know, in a negative way? And, and I found that. And I, and I try to understand that when someone it's true, yeah, it's leaves, a, like, leaves a comment, they're like, when I talk about how much money I made and I'm going to be dropping, like, I'm not going to, I'm going to be doing everything but releasing my tax returns just to talk about, just to show people this is what it looked like to make money as a DP. Like, I think no one's ever really done that. I think it should be out there. Yeah. Like the president has to give the tax return. I'm like, this is my, this was how much I made per, like, as a DP in 2010, I'm going to drop that. That was my big year for me. Like, that was like when I kind of came out, I was like, wait, I made it, you know, like, but like, you know, there's people that are going to see that and see like the slammers that they're like, oh, I'm so close to that. Like, that's so great. You know, like, oh, I just need to take these steps and like, I'm going to do that. Like, that's helpful. It's a great blueprint for me to follow that. Like, thank you for putting that in the world. Then there's going to be people that are like, I'm making nothing like that. Like, you're a jerk. Like, yeah, why would you put that different out? different from me. Yeah, you're making I hate me you. feel bad. And I know that that content is going to help people and it's going to make people hate me. Mm. But, I, but I'm okay to, I guess I'm okay to do that. I hope it doesn't come to death threats. Like some of the people, people who do game commentary get death threats. I'm like, how is this possible? You're playing Dark Souls for a living. He mm. plays Dark Souls and talks about Dark Souls. He never talks about anything real. No offense to Marcus on E&B, but it's like, you don't talk about real life. You talk about video games. And people send you death threats. Like, what is going on? Like, what is that? But it's, it's the people that see the differences it's just like oh you've got like five million hits on this youtube video you must be making all this money and taking advantage of people it's like the negative thing but i i'm trying to understand it because i think i've been there myself so that, that's that's, that's good, kind though. of it's my, good. Answer, it's my good. answer to that whole thing i guess it's good to know that from being able to to look back and be honest with yourself and then understand psychologically because you're coming full circle now you know and i think I think the the more it's like anything, you know, it's like, let's say like the Martin Luther King, for example, like had to overcome so much adversity and use his life basically to really stand behind what he believed in. But people looked at him and saw the difference, like you said, you know, and that's unfortunate and very unfortunate because we lost a very special human being because of the difference, you know, that happened. So it's a really interesting man. And I think it's really um, it's sad when I see people hate like hating, it's like, man, I feel so sad for that person. You know, it's like, damn, if only you knew the potential in which you had, you just don't realize it because you're just too busy seeing the difference and being upset with yourself, you know? So yeah, it's quite sad. Um, I don't want to end this episode with this. I have a couple more questions and we'll wrap it up if that's okay with you. 
Yeah, man. Let me know. Um, I would love to talk, uh, just kind of ask, there's a lot of things that you've given out as far as feedback and things for like up and coming artists and stuff. Or there's, I want to kind of talk to you in specific about like, if, if, um, let's just do like a case study, um, let's maybe do two people, I guess, that are coming up. Cause a lot of people are listening to the podcast. There's a wide spectrum from all different categories. Cause it's the collective. It's mostly just all everybody that creates basically. Um, mm-hmm. let's, let's do a scenario. You'd give personal advice to a student because I imagine this is something that you have to constantly be asked answering, but let's say, um, a student that's straight out of, um, an average school that wants to be creative, that's coming into this industry in this field, what advice would you give them? They said, you know, I not even, not even doing DOP work, but they want to just be creative and they want to do that for a living. Um, do you have advice for that person? And what would that be? Go check out my YouTube channel. No, I did make, I did make, I did make Go a get video. Sin designer, Sin 4D. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's Shameless plug. Need. That'd be so funny. Do that. Uh, but, but I did make a YouTube show somewhat about this, but I'll kind of like, package it real quick which one so, what's it called too because we'll send them to that as well uh i think it's called like uh how to make money as a dp okay five tips I or something like that but i could boil it down i did right? see so, that one yeah okay yeah so it's i mean you know it i'm getting flack for it still but it, it got reposted and stuff so it's 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 it's, mo- it's moving on the internet anyway so rather there's good and bad but i will say this so you want to be creative right well guess what the world it costs money to live so if you cannot make money, you cannot create art. So look at that, first of all. Like, Unless for some reason you can, that's great. But I think for the majority of us, you need money to live. So first, you need to be able to make money. And there's two trains of thoughts on this. One is to work in a sector that is unrelated to your art. Because if you work, like say like you're a dancer and you want to be a dancer and you want to but all they'll let you do is like run the social media feed. That would actually be a great job. But say it was something that was like side of soul crushing to you, whatever is soul crushing to you, but you're watching other people do well in that space. That can be really frustrating. Um, So that would be the industry road. Like if you want to start at the bottom, that may not be the way that you want to go. Some people get a normal job that's like, you know, temp work, whatever, just to make a living while they build their personal portfolio and they use their creative passion to build something that gets noticed. And we're talking about daily posting on Instagram, uh, daily posting on YouTube, putting your work out there and building it, but not necessarily monetizing and making money doing something else. That's one plan, right? Mm. In cinematography, that means like, I don't know, editing or something, but then shooting so much on the weekend and putting it on YouTube and collaborating and stuff. But you don't make money from that because when you make money on it, it changes the aspect of it. The other way is to basically go industry. So you start at the bottom in the industry. So for the film industry, that's like you start PA and you start interning and you try to wake your, you try to work your way up, right? So you have to look at yourself. You have to understand yourself. And it's hard as a young person. I couldn't have done this in college. I don't think I did a little bit of a hybrid. You need to understand if you're going to be creating, but not monetizing it, or you're going to start as like kind of like a periphery um, position in that industry and make money at that and work your way up the so-called ladder. Um, Hmm. Because there's nothing saying that like to be, and I was talking about this with Chris, it's like, if you want to be a DP these days, traditional knowledge was like, oh, you start PAing, interning. That's great. That's going to work great. And you follow the industry path. But there's nothing saying that you can't just start shooting for free, start shooting whatever you want and putting it out there and being discovered. I've seen people in my career um, in my time, young people, older people, my age, 
succeed at both paths, but I think you should really do some soul searching and understand which one of those you can do sustainably when things are bad. Mm. You know, I always try to look at like when you're picking a path and anything you're doing, would you still do this if no one ever saw what you made, if you made no money and it ruined your life? What would you still be able to do this? Could you still PA on a big movie for 10 years? Could you still work a job that wasn't it and do it on the weekends? You know, like which one of those are you going to be able to do when you're broke and it's ruining your life? Because that's what's going to happen. <laughs> that's what's going to happen um, in a lot of cases. Which one of those is going to get you through? I think you have to really ask yourself which one of those is going to work for you. Do you want to be in the industry and work up? Or do you want to work kind of like perforate to it and try to build your own big splash? I've seen success in both. Neither is right. It's mm. up to you. Yeah, I agree. There's also like the case study, the guy that wrote and created Mad Men too. And he had that same kind of story where he basically pitched it around for 10 years or something, something crazy like that until um, AMC eventually bought it. And the irony is that AMC at the time wasn't this cool channel or this stream of great content. They were kind of like this dead network. And um, when he he finally got the deal, everybody's like, oh, that's a shame. (laughs) But, you know, little did they know that AMC was going to be this next uprising kind of, you know, baby HBO thing that was coming up. So um, so that's those are all really great advice. And I hope that if you're out there listening and these are things, you know, also keep in mind, this is this is these are all our own advice and, and tips. And you must, you know, manage your own you know, life and figure out your own path and you're going to have completely different, um, perceptions of things and your own realities of, you know, what you want. But I mean, the advice of, you know, if nobody pays you, nobody will see it. Are you going to continue doing it? I would say I do that. I do that. I've done this since I was a kid and known that I was going to be an artist or a creative type of person. And I would always constantly be doing this. Um, so I know that myself and I think it's important for you too, if you're going to go and do this, that you should know that, um, because it's important to, and I think it's really important. So, and then the last question I want to ask is what's the future hold for you? What's going on with you? What's, what's going on with your company and just your, you in general and your family and all that stuff, what are your big plans and all that kind of stuff? Right. Yeah. So cinematography database, um, the main product is Cine Designer, and it, it has a couple goals as a product. One is to essentially be able to visualize anything in the film industry this before this product and and many other things like it it was impossible to to really communicate visually a camera move or lighting Mm. and then not only visualize what it looks like through the camera to be able to look back at it from a higher view and look at what it takes to make that happen Mm -hmm. so my company moving forward is going to be the platform that enables that and to do that we are partnering aggressively with every manufacturer in the film industry new ones old ones starting uh, working with new ones they're entering. So we want 3D representations of everything in the film industry, every single product. Uh, I want it to move faithfully. I want it to light faithfully like it would. And I want to make that available to anyone in the world that wants to be able to basically use virtual filmmaking tools to plan their shoot, to learn cinematography, to do whatever you want with it. We have people using it at NYU, USC is starting to use it. People are using it to teach, people are using it to plan shoots. Whatever you see that value in, I want to build that platform. So that's our main product. That's how we make our money. On top of that, I'm also very interested in building what I'm, I'm just like kind of figuring out our new mission statement. It's kind of like building the tools for modern cinematographers. I want to build the tools that are going to allow the next generation of creators to do what they need to do. And I think that I have perspective from the old world and the new world. I have a foot in both. And I believe that I'm right in the middle and I can build tools like Cine Designer, like some other products that are not announced. They're going to help you 
do that. So that's really what our platform is about. And my outreach is on YouTube. So I talk about filmmaking. I am collaborating pretty aggressively with other YouTubers. Um, I run a podcast similar to, I think, what you're doing here. It's just talking honestly, just trying to get to the real stuff, not just promote a movie, not just talk about how great we are. Talk about like some real life stuff. Like I've talked about what it's like having kids and being a cinematographer, talking about like when things are bad, what do we do? I, I People have reached out to me after been like, you know, like my like there's been suicide in my family you know, and like that's been really hard. And like your podcast is helping me talk about that and just mm. try, try to get a little bit more humanness about being a creator, because I think if you just follow a lot of the mainstream media channels about cinematography, they're just trying to sell you a camera. They're just trying to sell you a uh, four-year education in the film school. And those are the loudest voices because they're making the most money. But where where is the real content to talk about being a human? So I'm very much, I consider myself very much like a human platform. I very much care about the people that use my software. I care about cinematographers that are trying to make a career out of it at any level. And I try to look at it, you know, like what can I do as a company to support people to make to be creative, get them the tools, give them the knowledge, hook them up from the network. We haven't launched our, net, our our official network yet, but connect people with people that are going to help them. That's what I want to do for like the next ten to twenty years. Is just do all of those things, and um, you know, I think that we're making pretty good headway. I think I feel I pretty so pretty confident moving forward. Yeah, it's 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 um it's inspiring. It's really cool, and I think your your vision and your path and your hustle for it. It's really. Awesome. And I have no doubt that you're going to p- produce what it is that you're doing because you're already doing it. It's just, it's going to continu- continually grow, you know? So it's going to be interesting to see. And it's going to be cool. Um, I think once I get into diving into my film, I'm going to get, send a designer and start using it because I really, I kind of want to previs through the film myself. So I think you're giving me this ability to be able to use a tool and really help me set up the things that I wanted to so I would have everything there in the machine so I can go, okay, I have this many setups. This is the lens I'm using. This is the lights I need, blah, blah, blah. It's all here. You know, the the basic roadmap of my film is here. So I know how much it's going to cost the production, everything through and through kind of like a Shane Carew style, you know, (laughs) going through it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really exciting and since, and I'm excited for you. That's really awesome. I want to thank you personally for, you know, jumping on this opportunity to come on the the collective so quickly. Um, thank you for that. And let's definitely keep in touch and I'm wishing you all the best with everything everything uh, your family and uh, your company and everything else moving forward so thanks matt yeah thank you I, I really appreciate you bringing me on i think like you said we have a lot of similar visions i like what you're doing with learn squared and just what you're putting out there with this content so um i'm glad to to be part of it in any way that i can so thank you so much and that concludes this week's episode. Massive thank yous to Matt for coming on the show and sharing his experience and time with us this week. You can find links to the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectivepodcast.com slash 138, along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. Have an amazing day, everybody. You know the drill. Be powerful. Be prolific. Peace out.